Matt Damon, Space Heist, Lindsay Lohan gets freaky, and Harrison Ford didn't kill his wife this week on 30 Hello, everyone, and welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Apologies for last week's audio issue, but you can help fix that by going to patreon.com slash laser time and contributing five bucks to the upkeep maintenance uh, aspect of this entire shebang. Because, oh, God, I hate troubleshooting audio. How do you Google make sound good? Anyway, I'm Chris Antis. <laughs> Who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman, and man, we lost some real ones this last week, man. It yep. was it was the week yeah. of the dearly departed canceled. R.I.P. Sinead. R.I.P. Paul Rubens. I don't think it had this hurt as much as Robin Williams until Paul. He was like the first human I ever liked, <laughs> like that I ever loved. I had a doll. I still have it somewhere. Uh, I never lost it. I love I love P.W. I will never forget the Pee Wee movie. I watched that thing so many times growing up, and I, I always wanted that bike. I was <laughs> I would, like, do bloody, horrible murder as a child to get that bike. Maybe not that bike, but everything the bike had. Because the bike, I remember, if you had, like, an old bike first, which I did until my cousin donated me his BMX, it rattles, it's heavy, and it sucks. Uh, but a lion's head, a giant horn, mad tassels, oil slits yeah i'll take all <laughs> one of the best movies I've ever made one of the first like non-animated movies i've ever loved and you do not need to hear me go on and on about flight of the navigator again now, this is a previous episode <laughs> of 3010 and he's a big part of that and we rarely do that but it's just been yeah i like the, it feels like the death of the 80s like i oh it feels so bad and that's jr rawls by the yeah. way i should yeah jr rawls and i'd like to start us out with a inspirational speech if i may sometimes the world looks perfect Nothing to rearrange. Sometimes you get a feeling like you need some kind of change. No matter what the odds are this time, nothing's going to stand in my way. This flame in my heart, like a long lost friend, gives every dark street a light at the end, standing tall. You're eating into the conversation about this thing. Jesus Christ. Thank you so much, everyone. Uh, once again, patreon.com slash laser time. Uh, we have a ton of new episodes for you. Uh, Indie, Indiana Jones review featuring these two and uh, talk of two bonds. If you like, holy shit. At the end of VGA last week, Rising Sun and like it ended in a, like three dueling Connery's yelling about Japanese stuff. And it was some of the most fun I've had podcasting. Thank you, Rising Sun, for that alone. <laughs> My anyway. Pokemon, let me show them to you. <laughs> Uh, I choose you. Okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> Patreon.com slash laser time. Please support us. Five bucks is the recommended thing. Give more or less. We prefer more. Welcome to 302010, the laser time weekly pop culture time machine, uh, counting down the best pop culture milestones and anniversaries 30, 20, and 10 years ago. Beginning as we always do, 30 years ago, August 4th through the 10th, um, we have oh, some big news to lead you into the wonderful world. I didn't know this was happening at the time, but eventually became ultra fascinated in the Norwegian death metal scene. <laughs> and uh, this is the week mayhem guitarist Euronymous is stabbed to death by fellow band member Varg Burzum fame in uh, Vekernes? Vekernes? Yeah, Vekernes. In Oslo, Norway. And 
I don't. I think there's a good documentary on this. Yeah. But the book Lords of Chaos is. I've read it twice. It's amazing. It is hard to believe. There have been documentaries. There have been podcasts. There have been books, and because it's, it is just fascinating. It it really is. Like you could say, oh, death metal finally caused a real murder. No, these guys are just a bunch of dirtbags. Yeah. Oh, and Nazis. <laughs> Yeah, Nazi. they're they're Nazi satanic dirtbags. They they had been burning down some churches because that's one of those things I find really fascinating about Nazis is they can all agree on who they hate, but they can't agree on religion at all. Nope. <laughs> because you got your hardcore Christians who hate Jews because they think we killed Jesus, and then you've got the folks even further to the right of that are like, y'all worship a Jew, we should worship Odin and trees. Let's burn down some churches. <laughs> yeah, I, I I do believe according to that book. Part of the burning down. Man, I was in New York with my friend who gave me the book, and he bought, like, it looked like a, a band flyer with mm. the locations and dates of when they burned down the churches with these bands' names on them. Uh, all these bands' names you can enjoy in the background of Metalocalypse. <laughs> first season has all. But uh, yeah, I think Varg stabbed Euronymous to either one up him because he had stabbed a guy. Right. And he had stabbed a guy for almost no reason. Um, it was just this this string of suicides and deaths that they were doing for fun. It's like what the morality police in this country always say is going to happen, but it really happened in <laughs> Oslo in yeah. the early 90s. And it's fucking fascinating. People, hey, look, dude, our friend just killed himself. Let's turn his skull into a necklace, bro. Like that kind <laughs> yeah, of shit. It's, it's, the, it's crazy. How to be as dark as humanly possible. They're trying to outdark each other. Yeah, it's like you can it's never so anything this metal again because th these Norwegian dudes topped it. 30 years ago lords of chaos is the book i think there's a documentary of the same name or even a narrative movie that i just heard was terrible hmm. but uh i was obsessed with this it was and the music is the worst but i have been involved in youthful music scenes with terrible music that was fun to be around this wouldn't have been one of them anyway in better news the hutus and the tootsies signed a peace treaty in arusha tanzania um, it doesn't hold. Oh, damn it. Yeah, no, I guess you, you're probably thinking, oh, and then there was never problems with the Hutus and the Tutsis in Rwanda ever again. No, no this is, it is ending a civil war that's been going on for a couple of years that was not good. Civil wars never are. But um, this piece does not, ho it holds like a year and then there's a plane crash that kills a guy and that helps kick off the really bad times. <sighs> I should have, I, I shout out to my Tanzanian friend if he's still listening. I was just on the phone with him last week. Should have asked him about this. He was there. Yeah, it's it's now in fact illegal to talk about ethnicity in Rwanda. The uh, the government says that's to prevent further bloodshed, mm. but critics say it might be to make sure that nobody's prosecuted until everyone involved dies of old age. Mm. What yeah. the hell? Well, they've been doing that sort of truth and reconciliation type stuff, which is like, yeah, it's kind of like if we killed everyone who had been in the Nazi party up till 1945, like there's no one left. We we can't do that. You you got to have a certain amount of like, all right, we're going to start living together. Bygones be bygones, I guess, even though I saw you stab my mom. Yeah. <laughs> and then moving on to a story I don't know anything about and can't wait to be told. Why on Earth or off of Earth 30 years ago is the last action hero rocket launching? Okay, right. I have gone down a rabbit hole <laughs> on this. Uh, let's play the commercial to start out with. Call 1-900-9-ROCKET. That's 1-900-976-2538 to record a message to be launched into outer space. 350 for call. 
For official rules or to enter by mail, write SMI, Box 28103, Atlanta, Georgia, 30358. No purchase necessary. Offer ends May 15, 1993. Void in Minnesota, Georgia, and Louisiana. What the fuck is happening? What? Okay. Remember that stuff I told you a couple weeks ago about 900 numbers? See? You mm-hmm. got to tell yeah. them. So if you called this 900 number, they would allegedly record your message, and that message would, again, allegedly be put on a rocket that was sent into space. And that rocket was advertising the last action hero. <laughs> it was the well, first time. already kind of came and went in, in yeah. a And that r- rocket was supposed to launch like a week or two before the movie came out, wow. you know, to get the timing down. But rocket launches get delayed all the time. Uh, like two month delay is nothing in terms of rocketry delays. So by the time it was time for the rocket to launch, the movie had already bombed. But the company had paid a fortune to advertise the last action hero on the rocket. And this is where it gets weird. There are conflicting claims about whether the rocket launched or did not launch. And I have not been able to find any proof one way or the other. Some people say, oh, it it never launched because they were embarrassed to advertise it. Other people said it did launch, but they didn't publicize the launch because they were again embarrassed. There's nothing definite out there. I cannot find like a article from the time, a conclusive proof. So (laughs) listeners, please help me. Did the last action hero rocket launch or not? Help Uh, me. Yeah, that's an excellent question because it should be something there would be proof of uh, if it did happen. And I can see why it wouldn't. And I can see why from Columbia's behalf, like, yeah, if it doesn't launch, maybe we can get a little bit of our money back from the (laughs) even though this sounds like a private organization. This is fascinating. And (laughs) I'm so glad it was done by a 900 number. So it wasn't filled with Hitler did nothing wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Horrible. Vagvikernis did nothing wrong. Now send this to space. Burns them forever. Uh, oh, Jesus, don't, don't <laughs> isolate that. Yeah, because that dude got out of prison in like 15 years. Yeah. He served a solid... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's how they do in Scandinavia. Is you, you get a, a a prison which looks better than my college dorm room, and uh, and you're out in I think 20 years max. Yeah, yeah, that was his life sentence was 20 years, and he, yeah. he got paroled. He got out. Oh. He's out now. He's out doing Nazi shit. Yeah, pretending not to be Nazi, like mm-hmm. most Nazis. Very yeah. strange. Mm-hmm. Somehow that has been beaten to people that racism and Nazis are bad, but they don't recognize when they're acting like one. Mm. Anyway, moving on to the movies of uh, 1993, August 4th through the 10th. First up, we have The Wedding Banquet with uh, Winston Chow, Dion, Bernie, and Mei Chin. Hells to the yeah. Ang Lee is on the board, everybody. Oh, for real? For real. This is his second movie, but his first one released outside of China, Taiwan, Hong Kong, which are three separate things, especially then. This movie is so freaking good and just fun and creative and interesting. It's about a guy from Taiwan who's living in the U.S. who's gay but can't tell his family. And then they arrange a marriage for him so she can get a green card. So it's already a fake marriage. And now it's extra fake because he's gay and he's not telling anyone. And then they want to plan a big, big wedding and wackiness ensues. And it is like sweet and charming and damn, it's good. Mm, did, it, did it make a splash stateside? Or? It did. 
Yeah, mm. it, it got a bunch of attention. It got some, you know, foreign language film awards. And people were like, hmm, this Ang Lee fellow, I think maybe he makes like fun little personal dramas. And he's like, I'm going to be the Hulk, bitch. <laughs> I don't even think we mentioned during the Hulk thing. He did the mocap for that. Ang Lee, the director. <laughs> yes, that's how he did. Uh, I, I bet this film could never be made today. Uh, China just shut down the last LGBTQ center in China last month. Mm, yeah. Oh, glad all the stuff is made there. Um, hard pivot into a failed horror comedy. From Some the, rom-com. Uh, I'll just say air quote creator Friday the 13th. And the next two movies, by the way, if you're still playing Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, you can really score with these. <laughs> Andrew Lowry, okay, Tracy Lord, a lot of films. Phil Cy Hoffman. <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman is in this movie in the debut of Matthew Fox and Matthew McConaughey, the Matthews, in My Boyfriend's Back. Some rom-com, directed by Bob Balaban? Bob Balaban is the director. Holy shit, love Bob Balaban. I, uh, I was bummed because I like this idea, and the title is so, so perfect. It tells you, <laughs> all you have to hear is, the name is My Boyfriend's Back, and it's about zombies. I know the whole movie now. Thanks. Yeah. That's handy. Uh, yeah, that's adorable. He died. Titled Johnny Zombie, but which he's is like, also fantastic. <laughs> but he's like, damn All it. Right. No, I died before prom. I must come back. <laughs> All right. Did either of you watch this film? I have a long, long time. Long Very time long time. Ago. I did not okay. get around to rewatching. Scratching your memories. I don't know when this is set. Okay. It's right. got flannel. It's got the music of the 90s. But everyone lives in this 1950s, very Leave it to Beaver-esque neighborhood. I half expect Mr. Wilson to be around the corner. And in one scene, there's a greaser, a real full-on greaser, in a 1993 movie. So I think this movie takes place in 19XX. Yeah, I mean, that's that was not uncommon in low-budget, cheapy horror movies in the 80s. It is weird, because it's just not an inexpensive film bombs terribly hmm. the 10 million dollar movie that which i think that's the budget of like the first four friday the 13th wow uh, I, my but, recollection yeah. was that it was the 50s or early 60s but it's probably helped by the song that, yeah. that sort of puts that in my head uh so this came out in an age when it was my goal to watch literally every single genre film every side film every fantasy film and I could do that in 1993. Like mm. the next couple of years, I pretty much watch every one that would ever come out in that fantasy or sci-fi genre. And that's impossible today. <laughs> but, it, but it was not in 1993. It's impossible to do with just a Shutter account. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> don't envy anybody who's trying. But yeah, this film, not that great. You know, it's it's not held up and it's not referenced any for reasons and there, there's a couple of scenes where i'm just like huh like like the scene where the very cute gorgeous high school girl is asking her boyfriend to eat him <laughs> and the director's previous movie was uh the parents the cannibal comedy oh yeah I that's a better movie so, no parents yeah, with oh, parents. Uh, randy quaid Right. So I, I am wondering if the director is working out some issues or something. <laughs> hmm. I mean, this is it's all a bunch of boomers sending up, you know, past issues of their own hometown and then turning, giving it something horrific. I, I think I caught this a heavily edited version of this several times on USA Up all night. Yep. But wow, now we have a trifecta finally of the Zomrom com. We got this, we got warm uh, bodies and uh, we got uh, blah, 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 that other one. 
Shaun the of the Dead. One. Shaun of the Dead. That's oh, a rom com. Okay. Okay. And the cast in the next movie. Holy shit! Like I, I was. <laughs> I didn't even list like a. Th- a fraction of the people. Let's I'll, start I'll with Frank and... Gorshin too. Frank Gorshin, uh, <laughs> naughty Bill by nature. Nor- naughty by nature as the Bloods and Cypress Hill as the Crips. <laughs> uh, Don Shield wonder with blonde hair. <laughs> what? Uh, who else we got? Eddie Griffin is in this movie. Uh, Robert Townsend, James Earl Jones wearing ho- the most hilarious hair. Oh God, I wanted to love this movie, but it is yeah. lost the time. But I just want to say before I mention the title. We didn't have a lot of superhero films, and I am nope. heavily invested in reading comics, and this is advertised in every comic for months. Meteor Man. Yeah. Robert Townsend's Meteor Man. Kind of the end of Robert Townsend's pretty significant directorial role, like just this, like the the black Albert Brooks <laughs> <laughs> of just making really cool independent movies with all black casts and... The movie is interesting, but is man, is it shot like a fuck? It's shot like Dennis the Menace. It, it's just such a wackety schmackety comedy with weird effects. Meteor Man gets his power from a meteor. What powers, you ask? And I was like, <laughs> in describing why Superman is hard to film, it's because he has every power. Meteor Man has even more. He is pretty much Neo in the Matrix. X-ray vision, can fly, telekinesis, see-through clothes, and also absorb any book in seconds <laughs> making him better than superman i think i'm sure he does that somewhere in the comics but yeah absorb an entire tome like he's in the matrix i know kung fu but meteor man anybody see meteor man Ugh, I, saw, I saw it when it came out yeah, yeah i saw a chunk too. of it a little while ago because i wanted to give it a chance because yeah we're at a time where we don't have a lot of superheroes we definitely don't have any budget superheroes and we really don't have any black superheroes yeah period and that's that's probably what will make this fascinating, e- even if it's not a bona fide classic. And maybe it is in certain areas of the black community, because not a lot of black superhero films for a while. Not a lot of superhero films, period. Dark Man, like the last one. That guy's yeah, not I was uh, <laughs> 1993 is the peak of my comic book reading thing. Like I go down to my local 7-Eleven two, maybe three times a week just to see if they got any new comics in. I was obsessed with superheroes. So I was like great a superhero movie i'm gonna go see it and i was just like oh this isn't very good well yeah i think it's it's a superhero comedy with a real big emphasis on the comedy yeah it's it's a weird turn for robert townsend though because i mean he's he's known as a writer and a stand-up and and he does hollywood shuffle which he pulls together literally putting it on credit cards and and uh makes a real splash does the five heartbeats two years ago which is like just a straight movie it's it's yeah. you know it's it's a fictional band film and it's it's pretty solid and it's odd that he decided like oh, I, I could start moving into you know doing other genres trying other stuff no i'm gonna go back to being even more wackety schmackety than hollywood shuffle which is really wackety schmackety it looked like there was a decent budget behind this i think hollywood saw like yeah there's a space for a black superhero movie because the cast these are all incredible people who are like chris tucker <laughs> they find him somewhere robert guillaume there's a ton of people in this movie oh my and a god the cinematographer out. is john a alonzo who did chinatown and scarface yes yeah. it sets are oh big and, and it just it feels like you know a little more 80s than batman which you know already has its sequel out mm-hmm. and and i don't it's ultimately i found it a little unsatisfying even though you really want to love it but it's yeah. just it is yeah, yeah. It's, and then they make blank man a year later and it's almost exactly like this but it's it, it, the interesting thing about it is that like the big crime are inner city street gangs that's yeah. what yeah. 
the, the crime being fought. And I, that'll either be a time capsule or <laughs> constantly endear it to people going through that same shit. Uh, but I don't know of any other movie where the Bloods and Crips come to the rescue at the end. But here you have <laughs> Meteor Man. Meteor Man. And yeah. It's been a long time since I saw any of Blank Man, but I think I'll take Meteor Man over Blank Man. That's not a huge recommendation, but at least it's something. Now, I'm going to make you eat your words. But, All um, right. All right. Uh, but. But I think one of the best movies I never hear anybody talk about. Uh, and I watched it a couple years ago just, you know, let's revisit this. No one ever talks about this. Amazing. And I look forward to watching this again. No phone in hand. I love it. Julianne Moore, Cilla Ward, uh, Joe Pentaliano, Jareen Crabb. Tommy Lee Jones in an Oscar-winning performance. Amen. Feels nuts. Harrison Ford, based on a television show I have never seen one frame of. <laughs> nope. And coming number one at the box office and the third highest-grossing movie of the year. It's The Fugitive. All right, listen up. We have a fugitive that's been on the run for ninety minutes. What I want out of each and every one of you is a hard target search of every gas station, residence, warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, or dog house in this area. Put that gun down! I didn't kill my wife! Harrison Ford is The Fugitive. The Fugitive, a, a, a movie I just like, I think if you were taking bets on what was going to sweep the summer... <laughs> Jurassic Park would have been up there, and I, I never expected this. And its cultural impact resonated for like fucking years. Was it even was it cable guy? Like I didn't kill my wife. It was the one. Arm. It's it's referenced everywhere, all over the critic, all over the Simpsons. It has its own Leslie Nielsen spoof. <laughs> Good point. Huge part. Huge part of that is the one speech by Tommy Lee Jones. Uh. That was the go-to parody device anytime you want it. God, the critic is the one that comes to mind. House of pancakes, house of fried chicken, house of waffles. <laughs> Found him. House of pies. Yeah, and, and then but then I just it, it slowly disappeared even into a really weird spin-off sequel that would come out deck like Oh, yeah. US Marshals where but like I think the original 120 episodes of the original Fugitive in the 60s, most black and white, guy on the run from the law, also not unlike what poker face, the littlest hobo solving crimes in every town. Yeah, ends up. yeah exactly. It's an anthology yeah. show. He's got to move town to town. The the series finale in 1967, where he does finally get the one armed man what killed his wife, was the highest rated thing, I think, until the MASH finale, which just to show how dead TV is. During the summer, I remember whoever it is, NBC, CBS, they reran that episode after this movie came out. They're like, you curious? Really? You want to see it? Yeah. So I watched it. And I was like, oh, yeah, he's on the water tower. Look at that. Yeah. Never, ever did I remain curious. Uh, but to, to, uh, but I, I, yeah, I don't know that I love this movie. It was just on all the time. And then I, oh, I love this movie. Mm -hmm. I love this movie. I think it hasn't stuck around because it's not genre. You know, this is an action movie, and this is a movie. It's a movie couple genres, though, because it's yeah. also kind yeah. of a mystery movie. A huge, wonderful blend from a bunch mm -hmm. of sci-fi people, for the most part, like David, yeah. the guy who did the Riddick movies. Yeah, Twoey. Credited Toy, credited screen uh, with the screenplay, and the director is comes from like sci-fi and horror as well. He, his last right. movie was Under Siege, and that was a big surprise he, hit. He graduated a Steven Seagal movies, yes. Yep. You know, there's that cliche, you can't make Blazing Saddles anymore, blah, 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 nah, yucky nah. schmackety, yeah, yeah. You cannot make this movie today, okay? It is a action movie with high-budget stars who has a mystery, 
And it's very adult in that the central premise is about faking medical test results. Mm -hmm. Mm. I I do not think you could make this today. I do not think you could get this type of giant movie because it still looks gorgeous. The train wreck. The train wreck is better than... 95% 95% of the action sequences it's, I see today because they ruined a train. It's they a they did train. this shit. They ruined a train. Yeah. They ruined six different Harrison Ford dummies, completely trashed the fuck <laughs> out of them. like the only thing that doesn't hold up in the movie. The dummy going into the waterfall looks oh. like right out of Conan O'Brien. Nah, I like it. <laughs> throwing cool. a limp dummy off. Of, but that, that's the thing I want to compliment it on, you know, in terms of like, ah, if they had cell phones, like they already operate like they have cell phones. They're the police. They even have like a workstation set up in the woods with like a compact computer and a floppy disk drive. <laughs> like they have access to everything. So like it doesn't have that like this looks 30 years old because they're constantly able to update one another with pictures and profiles and faxes. Uh, it, it moves very modernly like that. And I'm just every through every turn. I'm like, wait, how could this really happen? And there's a plausible explanation for everything in the movie. It's really fucking yeah. cool. Well, I think the cops have cell phones if regular folks had cell phones then that's not going to happen because someone making a call from a car phone is part of this setup for yes. who who yeah. could have done it there are cell phones but they all have cords in most of the shots yeah <laughs> even no, when they're remote i just appreciate like because the, they were working on this and working on uh, you know the idea of doing a fugitive movie for so long and unlike some movies we're going to talk about later like this went through a lot of drafts and i feel like they kept improving on it like it is very efficient this is yeah. ruthlessly efficient. What what do we know about Kimball? He's a doctor. His wife still got the hots for him. People seem to like him. He totally didn't do this. What do we know about Gerard? Cops after him? Nothing. We know yeah. he he is ruthlessly efficient. We don't have I've, scenes with him of his wife and being like, "Why won't you come home?" And he's like, "I gotta go get that." Guy. Doesn't fucking matter. We know he is the job. Yeah, oh. uh, I didn't kill my wife. I don't care. I don't care. That's and that that is that is the perfect character you know who he is at that moment because it's not his job to solve your crime his job is you were duly convicted by the legal system i'm bringing you in i don't care if you say you're innocent i don't even care if you are innocent that's not my job yep i'm I'm not i'm not even kidding this drove me into like rechecking out justified (laughs) by how much i like tommy lee jones u.s marshall character i was blown away by it again and like he's Old, but way younger than you. Than oh, he is oh. Now. Chris, uh, Chris. Oh, no. Oh, I no. have gotten used to being older than my heroes when I was young. Like I passed the Luke Skywalker age when he was in New Hope. I passed the Indiana Jones age when he was in Raiders. You're over I am, older than George Costanza. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I am two years away from being as old as Tommy Lee Jones is in this film. Two years. That's nothing. He seemed so old to me when I watched this yeah. in 1993. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm like two years away from him. That that line from Men in Black 3 still holds up with it's, Tommy Lee Jones. You've got some city mo- miles on you, boy. I think, you know, we all have access to better skincare. Know some shit about the sun. Uh, <laughs> Don't and, smoke and three packs a day. Yeah, yeah. that kind of stuff. Because the, the, the stupidest one I came across, some fucking boomer meme. Like, can you believe? Dude, all of us, all of us, all of us. All three of us are older than the skipper on Gilligan's Island. <laughs> like, fuck you, Chris. We, we are all fuck you. That dude is dead at like sixty. Like, mm-hmm. we are all older than him on Gil- when he is Alan Hale Jr. is on Gilligan's Island. Anyway, the fu- the fugitive. 
I think a masterful fucking movie that like I've watched two times in the last two decades. I never hear anybody talk about it, but I think it's immaculate. It is beautiful. It might be one of my favorite watches of this entire year. Huge recommend. If you have not watched this in the last 10 years, pull this up, please. It holds up amazingly well. You're going to be glad of your time. And, and so many parts of it stick with me. Like when Harrison Ford is going on the run, they really do a great job of capturing, well, what is it like to be a fugitive? And they, they have him go in and uh, cut off his beard. And uh, at the time, I had a friend, uh, my dad's friend, had had his beard since he was 18, and now he was in his 40s. And this movie is a big reason he cut off that beard, and I did not recognize him. <laughs> like, because I had known him my entire life with a big old bushy beard. But when he cut it off, I legit did not recognize him because I'd only ever seen him bearded. And beardless <laughs> was just like, what? Yeah, Who is this person I've known since Throwing I was the beard was a big part of Ford. <laughs> Wanting the role, <laughs> I want to look different. I want to grow a beard. Yeah. Let me. No, I think his performance is like truly one of his best too. I mean, this is not uh, an ass-kicking Superman. This is he is constantly he is like all the time. He constantly is afraid and freaking out and having to decide like, okay, just I guess I'm jumping. Fuck it, I'm not going back to jail. Or uh, I guess I'm going to have to go into a jail to ask a guy something, even though the place is crawling with cops. I don't want to do this. I know I'm going to be filmed. I don't know I'm going to do. Okay. Because, because the people, I get, he doesn't know that, but the people searching for him have no interest in absolving him of this crime. But if he keeps appearing places where they have to look into the whys and hows, mm -hmm. then they could connect the dots too. It's, it's methodical. It's brilliant. And wonderful. And the only way, Tommy Lee Jones, he went best supporting, right? Right. He t has so many more lines than Harrison Ford, <laughs> who is mostly silent throughout this film. It, it's a very mm -hmm. quiet role for him. I'm not saying he's not putting on a good performance, but Tommy, this is kind of his movie in a way I totally forgot about. He is yep. up until like the end, like when he figures out the his wife was killed uh, by accident. It was supposed to be him, and for the reasons why, I won't. I still won't split. They're not important to the movie at all, in my opinion. It just gives it a nice little ending for you. Like <laughs> everything's better. Yeah. And. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones, up until the end, is like in more of the movie than Harrison Ford. I don't know how he got supporting for that because Harrison Ford wasn't nominated for Best Actor, was he? No, no. But I mean, this is it is a supporting part. That's what he's doing. He's he's moving the movie forward. And man, we'll talk about it when we get to the Oscars for '93. But this Best Supporting Actor category is literally, I think, the best category that has ever happened in '93 wow. because we have two two guys out of like. Action blockbusters get nominated for Best Supporting Actor because they fucking deserve it. Tommy Lee Jones and John Malkovich out of I'm In the Line of Fire. Yeah. I was, 93 is the summer of the adult-ass thrillers for adults, man. Yeah. I am here for it. But dude, this, The Firm, and In the Line of Fire, dude. Right. You, your weekend is going to be rad as hell. Dope dope dad movie trilogy for uh, real. Yeah, and, this, uh, this is one like everyone so, just goes, oh, yeah, that movie was good. And then you watch it with a critical eye and go like, this is a well-oiled machine. This is a phenomenal and, oh, film, masterfully done. And things you don't expect. This got nominated for Best Sound, and it absolutely should have won. I, I should look up who beat it. But uh, when I was growing Probably up, Jurassic I started getting Park, in. honestly. Probably, you're, you're in right. a technical category yeah. this year, yeah. Yeah, but the sound in, like, the train crash, oh. that puts you in there. When I was growing up, I went to, like, a couple of theater stores, you know, selling big theaters and amplifiers and all that stuff. And like 50% of the time they had this movie as the demonstration of their sound system, <laughs> just because 
it, you listen to this in surround sound and gosh, I wish they would have brought this back to theaters for its 30th anniversary because this Aww. absolutely is a film that gets improved by being seen on the yeah, big it's, screen. It's, I'm telling you, it's not nostalgia. This movie is great. It is like a brightly lit color Hitchcock film. It and it fucking roars, dude. Yeah. It it needs it needs it, its legacy needs to be brought back and I've, i know i've done that on a podcast before but i don't mind doing it again because i feel like we've all taken this movie for granted and yeah yeah i was so into movies at this time though my family was visiting new york when this movie came out and you know i'm from portland oregon so uh visiting new york is like a big deal first time or ever been there and i'm like well we got to go see the fugitive and my dad was like we're in new york we can see movies when we get home. <laughs> we can see and a I was... Warner Brothers movie anytime, Jay, at Little Big. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and I never saw it in New York, and I was like, yeah, but it's better if you see it in opening night. And uh, that type of viewpoint is kind of gone for me, guys. I just, I definitely don't have that, like, passion anymore of I've got to see something as soon as possible. Well, it's just not there. Partially why the <laughs> summer box office is as bad as it is. Yeah. You know, there's no immediacy to it anymore. But I, I enjoyed The Fugitive mostly on uh, taped recordings off of something like HBO and endless cable viewings. It it, it never got worse. And like if, that said, if you're the same way and you haven't seen like an HD widescreen version of this, it is. I love how they shoot North Carolina for everywhere. Uh, it, <laughs> but that those shots of Chicago, mm, fucking yeah. gorgeous. Chicago like, really, during the St. Patrick's Day parade. Very cool. So cool. And that that scene, that bright green, <laughs> that bright green river out of nowhere pops so hard, like uh, very very pretty. Such a, it's it just... still amazes me that they dye the river green. <laughs> that kind of just blows my mind. It's like, yeah, we got a lot of Irish votes. Let's let's give them something. Uh, better health care. More. No, no, no. Dye the river green. Dye the river. So mm -hmm. just so no one tries to pinch it. Uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, just a fucking elegant thriller and should be enjoyed by more people. I think everyone kind of, like you said, shrugs up. Yeah, I've seen The Fugitive. Like, no, yeah, no, no. That's good. There, should, there should have been more movies made like this. And that it wasn't followed by a bunch of uh, Me Too's other than getting a terrible Leslie Nielsen parody. Yeah, well, I mean, Tommy Lee Jones kind of lives on this for... It's true. I mean, besides that this bumps him up into basically an A-list actor. All of a sudden, like, we get Tommy Lee Jones movies and they're A movies. They're not wasted on Batman forever. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. But I mean, but besides U.S. Marshals, we have uh, what du Double Jeopardy. Like, he does a bunch of movies where he's basically the same guy. Oh, yeah. we did get a ton of movies about crappy fifty and sixties television shows for the yes. last five years, and this is blows them all out of the water. There is not a single one yeah. of those that is even half as good of a movie movie as this is. I don't even know why they needed it. Like, uh, other than the one armed man and the named Kimball. I, I'm not sure what DNA it shares with the show at all. It's and it's one and done. Yeah. Uh, hilarious story. If you never heard Joe Penaliano tell that, like uh, he was supposed to get killed and he's like, I don't want to get killed. What if there's a sequel? And Harrison Ford's like, I won't do one. It's not going to be a sequel. <laughs> he's like, we'll just get to chase some other asshole. And they did with Wesley Snipes <laughs> and U.S. Marshall years later. But like, think about it. It's so bizarre. It's like if Philip Seymour Hoffman's character in Mission Impossible was spun into another its own film franchise. <laughs> It didn't take, but that's what happened. That's how fucking cool this character was. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones' character, whose name I'm forgetting. But uh, yeah. His name Fuck. is Mr. Marshall. Mr. Marshall. <laughs> Mr. Gary Marshall. Uh, but just a wonderful film. Blink and you'll miss Jane Lynch and Julianne Moore. Yeah. Um, 
really fun to see them in super early, ultra adorable roles. They both look great, like little teenagers. <laughs> um, oh, the Fugitive. I cannot say enough nice things about this. Everything is wonderful, and there's not a wasted moment. It is 90 minutes. It, it's amazing. Amazing. Yep. It's either its character, its plot, or its mood. Even when it seems like not much is happening, because like he's researching. Yeah. They still keep it interesting. <laughs> or he's walking fast. <laughs> okay. Keep, keep and I love that he's there's so many scenes where like he knows not to run. Right. He's right around the police. Do not call mm-hmm. attention to yourself by running. Move slowly. Keep your head down. So yeah. cool. Walking into a hospital around a bunch of cops with a holding a thing over your eye. Ah shit. Where's the yeah. ER? Yeah. Nope. I'm a I'm I'm a I'm a nationally wanted fugitive yeah. <laughs> with my face everywhere, wandering into a place filled with police. Yeah. So Or fun. once the cop is actually following him, run up to another cop and be like, There's a crazy guy back there and he's waving a gun around. And a woman. <laughs> there there are so many great points like that where it's like, well, you didn't use your magic powers. You used your brain, and I can see that happening. You got lucky, but not so lucky that it suspends my suspension of disbelief by its neck. And, yeah. and other, you know, a lot of, I don't want to say political correctness, because I think plenty of that is good, mars your experience with, other, but this sort of doesn't. Right when, they, right when they thought they were about to do something racist, they didn't. But hmm. then there's a, he's, a guy running away from Tommy Lee Jones, and he just unloads his clip at Harrison Ford Put in a in building. his face, in his yeah. face, in yeah. like such a great moment. It's yeah. such a again. It's just underlining. He does not give a shit about this guy and his quest for justice. Yeah. He is he, a convicted murderer. He is on the loose. I'm going to put a bullet in your face. Yeah, and multiple bullets. And if this happens, you know, here, oops, oh. and that just happens to be really a puts jail you in where there's bulletproof glass. Didn't put you in in Ford's face. He's like, well, I'm going to be shot at. Mm. So it makes sense for me to take these insane risks because why not? What's the worst that can happen? I get shot in the face. These risks for the rest of my life, unless I, uh, what do you call it? Exonerate myself because no one else Mm -hmm. is interested. And yes, minor spoiler. Who knew Big Pharma even back then? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Even back then was uh, capable of that kind of corruption. The fugitive cannot recommend it enough. It did in kind of insanely well. I would I would say just in terms of like how much it cost and how much it made, it seems insane. But like I think Mrs. Doubtfire is right above this, and like half of these movies' budgets were going to their stars. Yeah, like roughly. Yeah, but overall, this was considered sort of a B plus A minus movie. You know, just mostly because it's got Harrison Ford in it. They were talking to other people who were less expensive. It's supposed to be Nolte. Yeah, Nolte. They talked to Gene Hackman for Tommy Lee Jones, which yeah, he would have done a great job, but. Yeah, it's oh. just sort of like, eh, whatever, it's based on a TV show. And then, then the critics see it, and they're like, what the fuck? This is great. <laughs> and then it makes all of the money. And it's like, no one's bothered to do that since then. Yeah, Every I think TV I'm, I'm version like, or t- movie tends to blow. A, a lot of the other um, movies we talked about loved or didn't love, it's one of the few that becomes part of like the cultural zeitgeist. And yep. yeah, we're all familiar with a fugitive re- reference. It's just been a while. I say more fugitive references. Watch the fugitive. And I know they tried to. Re- it's been it's been remade globally a billion times. I think they've tried multiple times with another show. Yep. They tried a sequel to this with U.S. Marshals. Never really took. I guess it's just lightning in a bottle. Something. I really got it. Yeah. yeah. You bring back Harrison Ford. As an 80-year-old Richard Kimball, whose wife, new wife in the nursing home, had just been murdered. So he's got to do it all again as an 80-year-old. Yeah, they got to sneak around without scuffing their tennis balls on the linoleum floor on their walkers. Like, that's going to be 
insane. Just, just great. I don't know yeah. even know how to approach making anything like it, but really fucking good, man. A really strong film. Moving on to television in 1993, it is the end of an era which JR referenced early on. That I love the earnestness of its sitcom. It's like the ultimate sitcom theme song. That is a billion percent sincere, but lived a little too long into the 90s. The Larry Sanders <laughs> show is on. Seinfeld is on. But Perfect Strangers ends its run. The, the astounding eight season run started in 1986. Yep. 30-20-10 has covered the entire run of Perfect Strangers. Wow. wow. I think this is the l- second time we've talked about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it is 30 episodes a year of the exact same thing. That- yes. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but I feel like this is the last quintessential 80s show we're going to talk about. Gosh, yeah. Um, Not a lot of other 80s holdovers. Yeah, because Cheers just ended. I mean, I guess I feel like Full House, I know, is technically a 90s show, but it has a very 80s feel to me. Yeah, it does. Can, Can you remember any episodes of this show? I remember one stupid thing in particular, and I don't know why, but it's something I try. Balky would put his clothes in a laundry chute and race it downstairs <laughs> and went any one. And I, I, as a kid, I was infatuated with one. I want a fucking laundry chute. That's that's the dream. Get a house the laundry chute. Still hasn't happened. Race a laundry chute. And that's about all I can remember, for real, like about the show in its entirety. And I watched it as when it was part of TGIF. I probably watched it every Friday. Yeah, see, it, it was actually doing decent in the ratings when they canceled it, but that's TGIF is why they canceled it, because they wanted all TGIF shows yeah. to be kid-centric, mm-hmm. and this was very much not. And they, you could tell they were trying, because episodes ending with someone having a baby. series is wrapping up there. Um, what clip do we want to play here? Well, we can hear the creation of Bulky, which is, I think, the only resonating cultural impact of the series because i feel like people still or maybe just my age group can still sometimes do a bulky accent when they want <laughs> to be uh, a foreigner don't be ridiculous cousin don't. larry it's pretty brilliant to like in 86 to make sure he's not from a real place right. <laughs> not a stereotype this is not a real accent kind of brilliant but yeah beverly hills cop was shot in 1984 and i had just right. bought a car from an Israeli woman who, as I was driving away, said, don't forget it's unleaded. And I was like, unleaded? What the <laughs> saying unleaded. Oh, but she said everything the way it looked on the page. And she was very, like, she looked like she was made of half molten rubber. And everything she said <laughs> made me laugh. So I did an imitation. Her name was Lily. But I did an imitation of her in Beverly Hills Cop. That's- wow. Wow. That's where it comes from. I forgot. It's yep. just kind of the same. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those goofy shows. There are some moments. I I like the dance of joy. Oh, I actually yeah. tried I to incorporate the dance of joy with my wife when I first <laughs> met her. You know, when you're wooing someone. How did that work out? Mm. Oh my god! So I, I was. Wait, like... are you actually a bird? <laughs> <laughs> do you like show off your plumage and do a little dance? I thought it would be funny if any time something good happened, I just grab her and go, now we do the dance of joy. And then we do the j- dance of joy from this. So I somehow I found a clip of doing the dance of joy. This was YouTube's pretty early. Maybe I found it there and we started doing the moves. But it ends with Balky jumping up in Cousin Larry's arms. 
and you can only do that so often before <laughs> your back starts really getting hurting. So that was the creation of the two actors, by the way. The script uh, for the first Dance of Joy said, line, now we do the Dance of Joy. Script direction, they do the Dance of Joy. That's it. Figure it out. So the two actors were all right, we got to figure it out. And it works. It's pretty funny. You know, they they had a good rhythm to the two of them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Larry, what's his name? Just like a perfect, perfect. They're Larry and Balky. That's yeah. that's all they are. Cousin Sorry, that's all they're ever going to be. Cousin yeah. Larry. I don't know his name. She said it the other day. Uh, Mark Lynn Baker. Mark Lynn Baker. There yeah. it is. I know. He's, I he's more well-known from stage. He did a lot of Broadway stuff. I mean, he's it, a lot of fun. It's also like while the actors and writers are on strike, these people never needed to work again. An eight-season <laughs> sitcom starting in 1986, you are set for multiple lives. And... And they didn't, and we never really saw. Yeah, they both people. pop up here and they there. Pop up you know, like, well, I mean, Bronson Pinchot is uh, blah, 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 true romance. True yeah, true we're romance. gonna talk about true romance, I think, later this year. Yeah, he's damn. so much fun in that. Marklin Baker just showed up. He, he's he's She Hulk's dad. Yeah. <laughs> I was so like, well, that's random. Hi, okay. And I, I will say, I I saw the fin- you can stream all of Perfect Strangers for free with ads on Amazon, and I'm like, I'll watch the two part finale. And then it was just like, fuck this. <laughs> I don't really, I don't have this much nostalgia for the show. I I no. No, no, no. Yeah. We have uh, so weird... Russia did a remake of Perfect Strangers wow. featuring Adreli from the remote Soviet former republic who moves to live with his cousin Ivan. And in the Brazilian version, <laughs> they just redub Balky to be from a apparently not very developed state in Brazil. Okay. Yeah. That's weird. Having one of your own countrymen yet still a foreigner. Anyway. Yeah. Uh goodbye, perfect strangers. And goodbye, Brooklyn Bridge. A show that started in nineteen ninety one. I have yeah. super vague recollections of yeah. the from. It was a critical darling. Um it was Urban Wonder Years, I would call it. It was, it was mm. New York Jewish Wonder Years. But um yeah, it was really good. I remember I watched it and I liked it a lot, but yeah. Not enough. Didn't Not tell enough. enough friends, Diana. Didn't didn't, tweet, didn't, didn't X about it enough. Did X about it. Enough. I truly, I should have. <laughs> so I only watched two episodes of this, mm. but because I was such a comic nerd for thirty years, I've been carrying around in my mind a scene where the two young boys go up to the comic book vendor and they're talking about whether they should buy the issue of Captain Marvel or Superman, and the gruff scurly not very nice newsstand owner goes here's the thing captain marvel he's got all these powers and whatnot and cool name whatever but superman he's a super man (laughs) (laughs) and um and then also we'd have a rare 30 years ago uh debut big wave dave uh, (laughs) what is this crap (laughs) Debut, right? Yes, it's not the Harry Harry Anderson one. No, no, yeah. no. It, the basic premise is: Have you ever sat around with your friends and said, "Hey, I hate my job," and they say, "Yeah, I hate my job too." Uh, why don't we just go uh, set up shop on the beach and run a surf shop? And then they do. Yes. And it's wackiness ensues. They got a loan, put up some collateral. It's just that easy. God damn it! It's um, it stars Adam Arkin and Jane Kaczmarek. Weird. And Kurtwood Smith's in there too. Like the least hang loose guy ever. Why? <laughs> uh and then this is exciting because we can include it in games, can't we? Magic the yeah, Gathering. We're including it in games. 
We're, we're moving on to games. Bye-bye, television. And it's time for August 4th in games, starting off with a little card game no one liked <laughs> called Magic the Gathering. <laughs> I don't have a clip, Chris. I, was I don't either. <laughs> I don't either. I don't either. Uh, yeah, because I, I have not played it. Um, I'm very bad oh, with that. Oh, my. Wow. Yeah. I, 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 I had a friend who, when he learned I had never played Magic the Gathering, got really excited that he got to take Magic the Gathering V-Card. Because he was like (laughs) so happy that I could cross that off of my nerd thing. So listeners, Magic the Gathering is a collectible card game in which you have all these powers and abilities. You build your deck, you play it against another player. Uh, It was started out intending to be the game you play with your D&D group before Mm -hmm. everyone's arrived to play D&D. It was yeah. meant to be this like quick little thing. That's why it's got the high fantasy theme and one of the worst initial names of any game ever. What's your game? Magic. Colon. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's that's marketing. Marketing went in. You mean colon something we can copyright because we can't copyright magic. <laughs> magic. That's, yeah. That's yeah. one of my favorite things. I want to say it's Hell House, the movie. Uh, it's a documentary about like evangelical Christians. There's a scene with this pastor is trying to write his newsletter about how there's satanic things coming for your children all over the place. And he wants to talk about Magic the Gathering, but he doesn't understand that name, that it's called Magic the Gathering, Magic colon the Gathering. It's like, people play Magic Gathering, and <laughs> then the secretary's <laughs> like, no, it's called Magic the Gathering. People play Gathering with Magic. No, Magic <laughs> the Gathering. People, the Magic Gathering. No. <laughs> It's like, I, you don't even know what you're scared of. I, I'm glad JR took the explanation because I was just going to be like, y'all know Pokemon cards, right? That's what this is. Well, this is why it exists. I, I mean, Pokemon is the largest IP in all of human history. There has never been, you can, if by quantifiable measures, no, you can it, look it, it up. It's, it's a fascinating stat that gets overshadowed a lot, but like Pokemon makes more money every year than Mickey Mouse, Marvel, Star Wars. Yeah, all that stuff. Yep. Do you know how and, much? Uh, uh, do you know how much Magic made last year? Uh oh. Any no. guesses? No. Pick, pick, I, pick I know there's. Be- no, there's some I think it made four hundred million. Chris. Um, gonna say five hundred thousand. <laughs> one point one. <laughs> one point one billion. Billion. Jesus. Wow. In twenty twenty two, it's the first time Hasbro, which now owns it, had a year with one billion dollar sales on a brand. Wow. Wow. Well, Magic, speaking of big fantasy brands, Final Fantasy Legend 3 comes out for Game Boy. I have no knowledge of the Legend series uh, or even what they're about. But uh, I do know Link's Awakening, which is out for Game Boy 30 years ago, had one of the coolest opening cutscenes I'd ever seen. Full face Link, like right there, falling off of a ship in a game I very much continue to be baffled by, up to and including Nintendo's recent remake for Switch. Did you not like the remake, or...? I... I, you know, when I get stuck in like, not only can I not figure out why it's hard to look up because it doesn't operate like an old school Zelda game. It, it, it operates like something a little different. It, I wasn't enjoying it altogether and I never have loved it. I don't know. And, and, you know, after you played Breath of the Wild, Tears of the Kingdom, I'm not dying to go back to that old school Zelda stuff, man. Yeah. It depends on what you're in the mood for. Sure. So I was a gigantic Zelda fan for Zelda one, Zelda two and Link to the Past. And then when this came out, I must have already sold my Game Boy or been like burned on a bunch of bad Game Boy games. Also, so I was just like, I'm not going to get it. So 
this has never been in my Zelda wheelhouse, but I've gone back and I played the Switch version. I was like, yeah, this is fun. This is ticking my Zelda boxes. But what really interests me is I think this may have one of the most interesting plots of any Zelda game ever. Hmm. Well, that's a dream. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a dream, but all of the creatures are afraid of Link waking up. So that's why they're attacking him because they don't want him to wake up and destroy their universe. Makes perfect. I find huh. that kind of good for a video game. Yeah. Mm. It's it's not an interesting. And uh, there, there's a ton and of There's stuff all sorts that. of crazy stuff in it. It was inspired by Twin Peaks. Yeah. So there, there's a lot lot of oddness um like dream logic yeah dream logic mario makes some cameos in this yeah it's the only other game Ward ever appears in yeah hmm. uh, yeah yeah it, it, it's kind of a an elseworld zelda like a not i don't i forget even in even nerdier news deadpool number one is released by marvel 30 years ago this week i think he's two three you know he's how, when did you come out? Ninety one. February ninety one for 91. in in New Mutants. Okay, yeah, and uh, yeah, but he gets Deadpool number one. That's a pretty pretty quick rise as far yeah. as a comic book star mm-hmm. because you know remember these things still a uh, uh, still an analog world. So by the time these issues go out, he must have become popular pretty fast in order to get his own series that quickly. I did not realize he was that new a character. Yeah, he's. Uh, we did a laser time a while back on like what comic characters made it to screen the fastest. He would be one of them, if not for everything in Spider-Verse, including Spider-Gwen, who I think mm. it's like <laughs> less than five years she existed before, or three years before hitting the screen. But because every other big super, the Flash, it's fucking ancient. <laughs> Everybody yeah. in the Flash is like almost a century old. Uh, so <laughs> it's, it's, it is unique to get a character like less than 20 years old to appear on film and deadpool did he's just that popular and i don't know how they got away with it because of deathstroke whose name is slade wilson (laughs) wilson they dress the same they're they're tongue-in-cheek parodies but like just in in that day and age how did a lawsuit not not fly back and forth i don't really understand but deadpool is still a cool and great comic character even though i feel like younger people there, there are a lot of characters like deadpool now a lot of them, but like the fourth wall breaking and doesn't care about dying was really fun in comics. And I really can't wait to see that new movie that I'll probably never get to see now. Happy birthday, Deadpool number one. Going into music of 1993, UB40's Can't Help Falling in Love is still number one. But we have other new album releases such as Perfect Teeth by Unrest, Beneath the Rhythm and Sound by The Ocean Blue, and The River of Dreams by Billy Joel. And I love pointing out this is the last Billy Joel album. It's really, really the, I, the last. I don't think he has put out a new album of new material since River of Dreams. And he's not like he, he had a great he's like, yeah, I just didn't feel like I was doing very well creatively anymore. And I didn't have to make new music. So why, why bother? So I, I think he may have put out some additional material. But like this is the last Billy Joel album as far as there's my incorrect. Hmm. There's Fantasies and Delusions 2001, which is might just be orchestral music. Mm. So that's listed, at least Wikipedia has that as his 13th and final studio album. Sure. But, but I'm uh, pretty sure. Like, cause I, oh, yeah, it's, it's classical composition. So, yeah, this is his last pop album of studio new material. Not, not a live album, huge. not a compilation. And yeah, it's huge. It's a fucking good album, man. It's it's very weird for an artist to just stop like that. Just because my memory is growing up. Remember my 
dad's car caught on fire and bar- borrowed my uncle's car and i open up remember those tape cases they look like a suitcase and they have like <laughs> it was somehow like it was only billy joel the entire case was billy joel that's how big he was in you know with a bunch of fucking italian floridian transplants and then just stopped never and i, I listen to interviews with him it's pretty interesting he's like yeah i just i tried a couple times it just felt not right didn't feel like doing it yeah. don't, don't mind playing live 30 yeah. years ago. Yeah, he goes out on tour, you know, a bunch of times and does different oh, stuff. just ended his installation in Madison Square Garden where he played like, what was it, like 12, 20 times a year? Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, anyway. Uh, that's why we're closing out with Billy Joel. The By the way, the longest I've ever talked about music on this show ever. <laughs> uh, apologies. Can't believe it's Billy Joel. But that's why we're closing out with River of Dreams in the middle of the night. And we will see you when we get back 10 years later. In 2003. Stay right there. In the middle of the night, I go walking in my sleep. Through the valley of fear, to a river so deep. I'm searching for something, taking out of my soul. Something I'd never lose. Something somebody stole. Coming into 2003 with Spitting Games by Snow Patrol off of Final Straw. It does not get more 20 years ago than Snow Patrol. August 4th through the 10th, 2003, 20 years ago. Other new music releases include Tour de France soundtracks, the final album by Kraftwerk. Really? That's yeah. what they were shit. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> what the world needs now is Love by Winona Judd, Thick Skin by Skid Row. This is 20 years ago. Yeah. Uh, Quebec by Ween, Jeff by Jeff Beck, Get the Pixel by Smash Mouth, and Crazy in Love by Beyonce. Featuring Jay-Z is still number one. Yeah. How fast um, was the Smash Mouth drop-off? Nothing's charting off of this. No, it's too bad. In 2003. Didn't have, didn't have a Shrek movie to write on, to dick write on. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's part of the reason why. Hard pivot from Shrek into France, because the news, Ooh, I guess I, I don't this. remember this. Oh, I yeah. remember this. But I was still working in a newsroom and reading the stuff coming off the wire of going, oh, sweet Jesus, what is happening in France? I mean, all of uh, Europe got fucked hard. And we saw it again just this last, the end of July, where they, they got the It was the hottest running. month on record. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's going this August is going to beat it, because mm-hmm. I know it's about 100 where I'm at. But I, uh, 20 years ago it, this week, a heat wave in France results in temperatures rising to uh, 44 degrees Celsius, 112 Fahrenheit, leaving uh, fifth, almost 15,000 people dead. Yeah, just in yeah. France. Another couple thousand and pretty much everyone's. Yeah, France, it was real bad because they're obviously completely unequipped for weather that hot and that it was not cooling off at night. That's usually how it goes where it's hot and then at night it cools off. You open up all the windows, the cold air gets in, everything's made out of stone, it retains the cold and you're fine. But also an incredible heat wave, it keeps going, you know, there's no no respite whatsoever. It's also August, everyone's on vacation, nobody's around. And so you have a lot of seniors in their houses by themselves who don't know how to deal with the heat and their families aren't here right now. Oh, my God. And they got to start bringing in morgue trucks in Paris. And people aren't claiming the bodies because they're out of town. We have a clip. The morgues were soon full. 
There were so many bodies, a refrigerated warehouse at the edge of the city had to be used as a temporary morgue. What you see over there are the zinc roofs of Paris. People were baking in there. The police were opening doors only to find corpses behind them. And part of that is COVID reminiscent for people who lived in cities like New York during the pandemic, but that still is like an astronomical fucking number because I not comparing it to that, but we recorded a bunch of podcasts and I think told you about it on each podcast on San Francisco's record 117 degree day. Granted, it cooled off to like almost normal the next day, but there's no AC. We were blowing fans over bowls of ice, trying trying to get some some cool. We were just stripping down and sweating with it. Yeah, where does the death toll come from? Is there is there so, like is it old, is there some, old folks? It's from old geez, folks. Yeah, just dropping because your your blood pressure drops really hard. We know, I, you, know I was you get heat stroke and you pass out. Vaguely hoping the number was from, you know, like how they tally earthquake deaths. Sometimes people die days later because of starvate. Not a, it's not good. I just wondered if there was like some famine. This killed some crops. People. Fourteen. No, 14, no. this is this is pretty much days. just. It got really hot. People didn't know how to handle it, That's and the old folks shit. died. Yeah, and they Ugh. they didn't understand because they'd never have heat going above a hundred Fahrenheit like that ever until now that like cities need to set up cooling centers like you need to go check on people you need to get you know old folks to somewhere with air conditioning anything to make sure people stay hydrated people weren't staying hydrated they don't understand they're not used to arizona weather in freaking paris yeah it, it was brutal i mean that's, that just sounds nightmarish we've, we've quoted a high number of death tolls but like a single day outcome like that well, it's not a single day. It's over like two yeah. weeks. Okay. Where it just would, the temperature Still would just much. not drop. And I've, I've been out in 42 degrees centigrade in Italy and I thought I was going to fucking die. But I was also in Rome where there is a fountain every block and it was just a trudge from one fountain to the next. Put my yeah, head yeah. in. <laughs> Where's Renex, the next fountain? Trudge, trudge, fountain. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, well, uh, Sacra Blue, I say. Uh, move. Yeah, yeah. Moving on to it movies. It's bad, and there's going to be more of it. Uh, moving on to movies of 2003, uh, August 4th to the 10th. I Capture the Castle, starring uh, Ramla Garai, Rose Byrne, and Billy Nye. Yep. One, yet another super charming small town British movie. This one's adapted from a book from the 40s about these folks that, like, they have a fancy castle, but they ain't got no money. And so they're, like, trying to trick a richer guy into marrying one of the daughters so that they can keep their castle. It's very cute. Um, man. And then speaking of Let's cute, get to the, the bigger stuff. We huh, a remake and another TV adaptation. Here we go. Wow. What Thanks, an Hollywood. Twenty years ago. And yet, yeah, Although, all, right, all right. Mark Harmon, Chad Michael Murray, Jamie Lee Curtis, and Lindsay Lohan in Freaky Friday, the remake. The second remake. The third <laughs> The mother. You think my life is perfect? The daughter. You couldn't last one day in my shoes. Cookie? The switch. You're in my body and I'm in your body. I'm like the crypt keeper! To switch back, they'll have to live each other's lives. Where is Harry's school? You can walk from here. It's 20 blocks. Run fast. And connect in ways they never thought possible. Why don't we like a jolt? Oh. Freaky Friday. Freaky Friday. I got no affection for this movie, but it's not egregiously terrible like a lot of live action Disney stuff in this period. Yeah, I I was uh, I was pretty charmed. 
you know, it's like yeah. in the original, I like it's pretty cute. And I, they did talk to Jodie Foster to see if maybe she'd come back and play oh. the mom because that would have been really stuff. cute. Yeah. We'll talk about her later. And she was like, that's too much stunt casting. It's going to be distracting. And I'm kind of glad because, you know, she can do comedy, but Jamie Lee Curtis, Oscar winner, Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. Um, man, she goes for it in this. I, she was like, anytime I got bored, there'd be some little thing Jamie Lee Curtis did that was like so cute. I just loved yeah. it. And Lindsay Lohan, she was all right. I liked her well enough. This movie kind of sets up Mean Girls. Same director, <laughs> Lindsay Lohan. We'll talk about it next year. And uh, the, the Lindsay Lohan might be the magic ingredient in, you know, if you haven't listened to the show for a while, I'm the big Disney nerd, pre all the acquisitions where they own everything. But these are the only remakes that have officially supplanted the originals in the yeah. minds of most people. Oh, that's a good point. Oh, shit. How did I not put together? She did Parent Trap also. <laughs> she did Parent Trap. And she did Herbie. She did Herbie as well. Oh, yeah. Not so much that one, but the, the Parent Trap and Freaky Friday, like I grew up with Disney trying to reinforce, these are part of our classics. They're just like Pinocchio and, <laughs> and Cinderella. Like, no, they are not. Uh, and they were completely washed away by these films. Like, these are what people remember, other than my mom, who loves Haley Miller. Yeah. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Freaky Friday, I've seen this on so many DVD shelves in my, my new adventures in dating. Um, made a lot of impressions on uh, younger ladies. Yeah. Was that a humble brag? Maybe a little. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, it's fun. I like that. I guess it was it was good for a remake because the, the original is pretty 70s. You know? It's crazy 70s. Yeah. I could see it not really clicking with, with a kid from 2003 who's, you know, like 12. But, you know, it's always going to be a solid premise. We've seen so many body switch movies. I feel like this is one of the only ones that, like... I can watch and not be like, oh, God, make it stop. You like vice versa? Like you know, father, like son? Really like father, like son. Um, eight, what, what's the one? 18 or eight, 18 again. 18 again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Has this happened a lot? There's so many of them and they're, <laughs> and they're generally pretty bad. But like this one, there's a point to it. The point is that they learn empathy for each other. Yeah. It's hard to be a mom. It's hard to be a teenager. Now we can communicate better because we have the same experiences and uh Lindsay Lohan though made a huge mistake in being like we have to get back in each other's bodies before I have to marry Mark Harmon girl marry Mark Harmon <laughs> I mean you're underage but girl I guess my one big complaint is magical Asians oh boy just, oh, right. just like what women want before <laughs> magical Asians are the reason that all of this happens and that's the only thing they have to do is be magic <sighs> come on guys could we well, that aside, I think this is going to be an evergreen concept. You're never going to get a point when children don't understand parents and parents don't understand children. So the thing of what if you could see the world through my eyes, you're always going to get this re movie remade in some I, form or another. It took me so fucking long. A horror movie I enjoyed from a year or two ago. Did you see that movie where Vince Vaughn switched places with a teenage girl? You were telling That's me about true. this. No. Yeah. Uh, it's really fun, mostly because of what Jamie Lee Curtis is doing here. There is something innately funny about an older person. Vince Vaughn running like a like a teenage girl. <laughs> it's just funny. Freaky. You remember what that movie was called? 2020. Freaky. freaky. Yeah. As a, and it's and like, oh, like freaky. Fr oh, my God. Like, it took it took me way too long to realize. Because I hated the title of the movie. I thought it was so dumb. I'm like, oh, never mind. It, that's probably pressure on the minds. of. That sounds play. awesome. I want to see Freaky <laughs> it's very, now. It's, it's great. It's awesome. And it's violent as shit. Yeah, I recommend it over any movie in this in this second of 302010. Okay. Uh, especially because uh, 
Next up, LL Cool J, Michelle Rodriguez, Colin Farrell, Samuel L. Jackson. We just gushed all over The Fugitive, a movie <laughs> based on a TV show the movie's demographic has completely forgotten. Yes. Lightning in a Bottle is not captured again with number one at the box office. I guess that's something. SWAT. SWAT. I gotta go. The SWAT. They are everyday heroes. Ah! Why'd you pick me? Take off the captain. Called upon to face the extraordinary. I will give 100 million to whoever gets me out of here. We're under attack. Matilda's escaping. Okay, guys. This is what we train for. SWAT. SWAT, baby. SWAT. Um, I'm... I, I ended up going down a weird rabbit hole with this about Clark Johnson, the director, who I know way better as an actor and seeing, oh, no, he's had a, a pretty solid directing oh. career, mostly TV. The first and last episodes of The Shield are both directed by Clark Johnson. But I'm like, wow. but wait, yeah. he's that guy from Homicide, Life on the Street. Oh, and he was on The Wire, too, because you're contractually obligated to be one. You have to be in both. <laughs> yes, the Dick like, Wolfiverse. Yeah, I don't know how that. No, that's not Dick Wolfiverse. That's. Uh, that, uh, What's his oh. name? David Simon verse. David Simon verse. That's what it is. Yeah, but it's uh, yeah, based on the 1975 TV series, which again, it doesn't have to be. Just like the Fugitive, right. it doesn't have to be based. Is this on based shit. on an episode of SWAT? And they also like kind of a show, not unlike Mission Impossible, that is way more famous for its theme song. Oh, that's at, true. At it does have a pretty da -da -da, cool da -da -da. That's the only thing I remember about it, because at this point, I think this is going to bring you back. My buddy had a chipped cable box. And Ooh. kids, back before On Demand, they had these pay-per-view channels that would just run the same fucking movie over and over again, nonstop, all day. Mm -hmm. And by the time we got it, like, yeah, let's let's watch some pirated movies. It's SWAT all the time. <laughs> so the fucking theme song at the end of the movie is like a rap remix of the theme song and we just, we always, oh, the credits for SWAT are coming up. Wait till you hear the line, talk about hardcore action, hanging with Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, now you took me out of the song and the movie. Oh, my God. Oh my it's a God. line of song. Can we play a moment of the original theme? Because I totally forgot about it, how cool it is. Yeah. Come on, do it. Do it, SWAT. There it is. I think that was the only legacy this show had, is that theme song. And I have no idea. That's not a terrible plot. A drug dealer offers $100 million for anyone in the world to break him out of prison. Yep. And is oh, this an wow. episode of the show? Like, why? Yeah. This like, I mean, that's fun. It's like it elevates it. Why it can't just be like regular cops. It has to be like super cops because y'all, yeah. these kinds of, there's up to no good and the bad guys and stuff. Wow. I, I like. I think the movie's fine. I don't, I don't really have anything for it or against it. It's, it feels very by the numbers for me. Mm -hmm. um, I'm now I'm just going down a rabbit hole on theme from SWAT of how many TV themes have become number one on the Billboard charts. Really? Yeah. Um, welcome huh. back, Potter. Yep, that's one. I uh, just referenced the Friends intro. Nope. Yeah, I thought it did. Nothing. Yeah, it... Apparently, it didn't make it to number one. I know it charted. Oh. Um. So the Heights. Did the... Yes. Yes. The that's what. There's there. one more. Which um, uh, wow, I, I get two out of three. Yeah, nice. Miami Vice uh, theme. Really? Okay, that makes that uh, totally sense. makes sense. That theme is rad. Yeah. Um. No, I mean SWAT. It's fine. Uh, we get the early early part for Jeremy Renner in here. He just sort of pops up, and you're like, oh shit, Jeremy Renner, you're not famous yet. Uh, yeah. I wonder if you're the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> Off this performance in Dahmer. Did we nice. talk about Jeremy Renner? Yeah, we did. We can move into actual TV, 2003. 
uh, August 4th or the 10th. Yeah, and I guess I, up, it's fun. Oh. I just want to say like SWAT is basically how I felt about two guns last week where it's like, yeah, this is perfectly acceptable. I'm not mad at it, but there is zero reason to seek this out. Non-essential. But if That's it's on TV I... and you're folding laundry, yeah, go for it. Don't have over the air TV. I'd have to deliberately do it from the beginning. Mm. Mm. And that's mm. such a different experience. If there really needs to be a play something random button on more streaming services because mm. it's a different feel when I'm just like, I have to deliberately choose my media. I'm never <laughs> going to choose swap deliberately ever. It just, why would it, would it be that expensive for Netflix? Like have a couple live streaming channels with, tcm style hosts or just a preview channel in the middle running promos for things i have no idea you even put on here <laughs> because if you haven't checked on like a kid's netflix there's a shitload of stuff that comes that they don't highlight for you at all uh every week anyway anyway moving on to actual tv how about another theme song to bring you into what's debuting on the fox network Ladies and gentlemen, it's the OC. Don't call it that. Oh, I knew I could spin it. been a Diana for us. Arrested Development reference. No, I had some person who lived in Orange County reference. No one has ever called it that. <laughs> ever. No one's ever said the OC. No, OC. People would say OC. Or behind the orange curtain, I preferred. Not to be confused with the pretty decent Colin Hague's Jack Black movie. Right. Uh, the OC. This is just me stalling because uh, I would. I have never seen a second of this show. I know Peter Gallier's on it. Yeah, I... I, I, when it came out, I was like, well, I have no reason to watch that because I lived it, man. <laughs> no, just because like, oh, it looks like 90210, but suburban, whatever. Like they all live in the Newport Hills. That's pretty great. I don't, I don't give a shit. It's the Hills, which I suppose comes after this. But um, people whose opinion I very much trust say, no, the OC is not 90210. It's much more interesting and much funnier. Actually, there's a lot more comedy. It has a sense of humor. Plus, there's, you know, soap opera and melodrama. And um did give us the name Chrismica that I appreciate people understanding when you have Christmas and Hanukkah together, you have Chrismica. It's fun. I, I like Christmas Hanukkah Kwanzaa or Chalupa Mass myself. <laughs> but, <laughs> or just Chalupa. I just, I celebrate Chalupa. Uh, but, yeah, um... no, it's got a, you know, deep bench. Uh, you know, they've got a bunch of young up and comers in there. Adrian Brody, right? No, not Adrian Brody. What the fuck's his name? Adam Brody. Adam Brody. Yeah, that's one of those things where it's like... Kate Donovan. Yeah, people I know that are like giant movie snobs will absolutely like get mad at me for dissing the OC, don't call it that. I was like, okay, man, I, I trust you. you. You haven't steered me wrong in it. Same people who said, no, seriously, you should watch Firefly were people who said, no, seriously, <laughs> you should watch the OC. Like, still haven't done it. I feel like I could. It's only It goes only a couple seasons, four seasons, I think. It, it goes for... Like, it's... I think you'll see that more and more. It was a hit with critics and a major hit with viewers, like 10 million people tuning in hmm. the first season. By the third season, that halves, oh. and the show's order is shortened, and it's over. So, like, like eight episodes shy of 100. That sounds pretty bingeable, then. Yeah, right. <laughs> 92 <laughs> episodes of one-hour network television. Yeah, absolutely. all right. So that's, that's 41, 42 minutes without commercials. Right. Again, I put it on in the background and just let it roll. I'll stick with Justified. Timothy Oak, I'll oh. put you down. If you wanted to see more of his character, Lancer, in a, from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, <laughs> it's that show. I'm, I'm digging it. And it just had one of those like resurrection seasons. Like, yep. 
10 years after hey, speaking of resurrections why did i teach this so hard last week <laughs> because it's insane i just insane. watched a new episode of this show referencing cancellations of tv shows in the year of our lord 2023 why is this back again and i'm so lucky I, I just remember watching the third finale of this show, and it's like, we're not going to go all like too hard on this finale, because I, I remember King of the Hill, they made what they thought was their finale, and then got three, four more seasons. And it's just okay. like, how are we supposed to top this? Like we In 2003, 2003. Chris, didn't you think Futurama was over forever and all time? Yeah. yeah. Yes. No idea it would ever come back. No. Yeah. No. How are they going to bring it, it back? It, it looked expensive. Um it, it it got like half the the Simpsons numbers. They they put it in horrible time slots continually. I loved that Fox animation block they would run on Tuesday. It would just be like a rerun of the Simpsons with Family Guy, the PJs, and uh, and Futurama. It was like my favorite night of television. Uh, yeah. No, I, I remember I remember the most Futurama stuff I bought was like in the wake of its cancellation, and I didn't see that as like this is a lot of merchandise for a canceled TV show. Mm. Like maybe this is going to stick around. See, I and, I grabbed those DVDs almost as fast as I could because oh, yeah. I thought, well, these are just going to disappear forever. Like they yeah. they never tried with this show and the show is brilliant. So uh, I'm just going to have to hoard it to myself. And <laughs> 20 right. years it, it, later. It shares that distinction with Family Guy where like they're released in volumes for some reason. Mm. They don't want you to know how few seasons there actually are. And I think unlike one of the fam- one of the one of the Family Guy Futurama resurrections was based more on DVD sales than yeah. Adult Swim yep. re I forget yep. which one it is. Mm-hmm. First one, might be, I think it was the first one. But combined with the 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 two things combined, the yeah, because they like, were I, doing well in the ratings plus DVDs. Ever for the same reason, people are snapping it up because they're like, "Well, I'm never going to get to see this again." Yeah, Futurama was such a weird show in the 2003 era that I thought it was gone forever. I was like so happy that we got what we got because it was such a smart show. It was after all the things I loved and it was so weird for the time. Mm -hmm. And there is no way I would have guessed that it would be brought back. Not once, (laughs) not twice, not three times, four times this show has been brought back, which means there will be a fifth finale for the show. Okay. We're going to talk about the fourth finale this year on 302010. <laughs> and this is this is the first finale? This is the first finale. This is the first time the show went off the air. It's the devil hands or idle playthings. Oh, I, can I just stop right there? That yeah. fucking title is so amazing. And the fact that it is the entire theme that that is the plot of the episode. The devil's hands are idle playthings. I love it so much. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah, and this episode has not one but two memes that I think should live on forever and all time. This is the first one. <laughs> My favorite. All right, first one. Resume the opera. But I can't play anymore. Yes, you can. The beauty was in your heart, not your hands. <laughs> Feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> that has ceased to be a reference, and that is just something I say. Yep. I <laughs> repeatedly say, "Well, your blank is bad, and you should feel bad." Yep. I think I just have a meme, and I use it on Twitter. Of your opinion's bad, and you should feel bad. <laughs> nah, I don't the, even want to type. What's the next one? The next one is a piece of advice every writer 
should have stapled to their forehead. You can't just have your characters announce how they feel. That makes me feel angry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is such a sweet Uh, episode. Yeah, the devil's hands are the idol's playthings that, yeah, Fry gets the devil's hands so he can play the holophoner to try to make Leela fall in love with him. That's so sweet. So so this is a wrap of Futurama's fourth season. Um, Yes. Yeah, no, no, it is, it is. It, but like, I was just wondering, like, what, what are we considering finales here? Because I thought there might have been like a mid Futurama. What do you call it? It was always a bubble show. They thought they were going to cancel every single season. Yeah. So they occasionally have things that feel like finales. Yeah. Uh, so the official finales official. for all four finales that we've had so far mm-hmm. are this one because the series is ending. Mm-hmm. There's the one where it is DVD uh, the DVD finale, mm-hmm. the Sci-Fi Channel finale, and the Comedy Central finale. Was it? Was there a Sci-Fi Channel finale? I don't think there was. But you know what? I'll no. throw the game in there. <laughs> there have been two two Futurama games with the entire voice cast with a ton of Futurama content to enjoy, which isn't something even popular animated shows get get very often so futurama is remarkable it, i love that it won't fucking die it will not <laughs> mm-hmm. die and like every network is totally shitty to it and it found a great home on hulu because i every time i load up hulu it's like things you might like futurama and like relax i've seen all the futurama Oof. but it knows that's what people love on on hulu futurama yeah. it's discovering it to this day and i remember predicting it got canceled by comedy central sci-fi channel optioned it and I was looking at the, it was like the ridiculousness of Sci-Fi Channel. This is running all day. <laughs> there's, there's no way this isn't coming back. This is clearly, they're, bank, they're making bank off this, like, <laughs> it's 20-year-old show on the Sci-Fi Channel. But uh, Okay, listeners, put your pens down. There was no Sci-Fi Channel finale. There were two Comedy Central finales. That's what I saw. Right. Where it got, it got renewed at the last minute. But it, yeah, Futurama was like, it's the most unloved, awesome show there ever there ever was. I, I, just, I love how, yeah, they keep coming back and like so many of the writers and the directors come back and the whole voice cast is always, seems to be like, yeah, sure, shut up. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, voice cast seems to fucking love it. It's it's a beautiful thing. Like just that, that like, oh, just exists without outside of the studio and executive system, no matter how little they care about it. It always finds a way to worm its way back. <laughs> Hypnotoad our eyeballs. Yeah. Uh, and let's close out this segment with some games. <laughs> Freaky Flyers <laughs> on PS2, Xbox, and GameCube. Uh, delightfully full of ethnic stereotypes. Uh, <laughs> must have been the 2000s. Silent Hill 3 on PS2. I wish I could tell you how much I love it, but I don't. Uh, I, I, Silent Hill 2, before there was Twitch, might have been the game I watched being played the most because I was get high and I was too scared to play. <laughs> and it was really fun to get spooked by it. My Silent Hill 2 is the only video game to ever just completely freak me out. Yeah. I played it all alone by myself when I was living in my first apartment by myself. And it was late at night and I played it and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. And nothing has recreated that experience. Certainly not Silent Hill 3. <laughs> and well, I don't remember which one it was. One of the Silent Hills, uh, Michael was playing it by himself. Uh, in the dark and I like walked up and I thought he heard and saw me coming and apparently he didn't and I like tapped him on the shoulder and he he screamed like Flanders finding a head of lettuce I it was I didn't 
I didn't want to mock. I didn't want to mock the man, but I've been lucky enough to work with him and stream with him, and it's really fun to see Michael scared at a video game. Yeah, it's not old. Yeah, he really, and he said like I did that right when there was like a scary whispering sound in his headphones, and then then I showed up. I'm like tickled the end of his ear. Like, hey, you want some hot brownies? (laughs) And then. Uh, extremely lastly, we have Splashdown, Rides Gone Wild. That is the most boggle name title I've ever seen in my whole life. <laughs> like, that is a lot of words that don't normally belong together. Uh, and it's such a fitting conclusion to the Splashdown trilogy. <laughs> I'm guessing jet skis? I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. It's sea uh, dew watercrafts in stadiums, Everybody. fantasy tracks, like like wave racers, you know wave race i love it uh well let's close out this segment with ultimate by Lindsay lohan off the freaky friday soundtrack is this in the movie yeah this is uh heading out to credits is their big song with her little band now mom understands how much she cares about music man Uh, all right well take us out Lindsay. we'll be right back with our final segment 2013 10 years ago don't go anywhere Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of August 4th through 10th, these movies never have anything to do with each other, so let's just get to it. (laughs) 70 years ago this week, a prequel to Oppenheimer? Because every World War II movie is a prequel to Oppenheimer, but it would be kind of an interesting double feature to watch. 70 years ago this week, the Best Picture winner of 1953 from Here to Eternity, because... That ends with also a big explosion that begins World War II because it takes place at Pearl Harbor. Man, From Here to Eternity, it's a movie I always imagined was like three hours long. It is just under two hours and it still feels absolutely epic because it's all about, you know, people live in, you know, uh, the naval base at Pearl Harbor and all of their like intersecting stories. You know, you got Burt Lancaster, who's like super uptight and he's he's having an affair with Deborah Carr. So you've always... You've seen parodied a trillion times them making out in the surf and then the waves wash over them. That's where that's from. And you got uh, Montgomery Cliff and you got Donna Reed as like a dance hall girl who, you know, wants to go legit and, you know, find find a husband. You got Frank Sinatra in there. You've got like all these so much going on that you kind of forget. I'm sorry, what, what date is it? It's December 5th, 1941. I'm sure everything will work out fine. So, yeah, from here to eternity, just I, there's so much going on, and they just pack it in, and it moves like a freight train, and never gets boring. Just never. And just two hours, solid movie, directed by Fred Zinneman, who I think's kind of underrated. So, yeah, that's uh, turning 70 this week. And then turning 40 this week, again, completely and utterly unrelated, but the movie that gave us Tom Cruise, who is also in movie theaters right now, Risky Business, turns 40. When they talk about movies they can't make today, yeah, <laughs> you cannot make this movie because it's about a overachieving high school student who's also really into, he's very, very interested in sex, but is also extremely terrified of it, which 
is kind of ahead of its time because we hadn't heard a lot about AIDS in, say, teenage communities in 1983. But we would become much more afraid of sex <laughs> as uh, the years rolled on. But he's very paranoid about sex and he ends up uh, getting a sex worker played by Rebecca de Mornay. And um, she, like, fulfills every fantasy, but then things spin kind of out of control because of Joe Pantoliano. There he is again as Guido the Killer Pimp, and uh, his, his little suburban world is kind of shattered, and he realizes how sick and corrupt everything is, and he super plays into it. So I talked about this a while back on the Project Gen X podcast, because they messaged me and they said, hey, we do a podcast about Gen X movies, because you think of a a movie we're doing a theme of parents went out of town and it's like immediately the first thing i think of is risky business because he turns his parents house into a brothel by the end <laughs> and they were like uh okay we hadn't thought of that and they watched it and one of them called it a prequel to american psycho so <laughs> it is very 80s and very dark interesting weird also i always have to point out in an 80s movie where there's a gay or trans trans character who's treated with even a little bit respect i was stunned that um, he uses the newspaper to use a f- telephone plugged into a wall to try to find a sex worker. And a black trans woman shows up, but doesn't freak out like, oh my god, there's an alien! He's just sort of like, you're not really what I was expecting. And she's like, yeah, I know. Okay, fine, here's a number. It's what all the white boys want. And um, and he gives her car fare, and that's really nice. But uh, risky business... For a while there, it looked like maybe Tom Cruise wouldn't be a star after this. I mean, this makes him huge, but then he makes some kind of mistakes along the way until Top Gun. And then it's like, well, he'll never not be a star. But solid, uh, very 80s Tangerine Dream soundtrack. Oh my God, so much fun. And of course, again, iconic scene that you have playing in your head right now to old time rock and roll. So watch the whole movie because (laughs) it's a lot weirder and darker than you were expecting. Uh, Booger from Revenge of the Nerds is the voice of reason. Anyway, that's it for this week. Stay classic. Coming to 2013 with best song ever, <laughs> I Will Not Mine by One Direction. <laughs> but you can't deny it's the greatest The ego. The ego of naming your song the best song ever. And I get it. It's not claiming that this is the best song ever. It's singing a song about the best song ever. Right. And having a lengthy sketch ahead of it where they're doing Holy Tom Cruise Lord. from Tropic Thunder. And my favorite part is the opening of this song is Baba O'Reilly by The Who. It is just so Baba O'Reilly by The Who. I could not, un- it's, it's staggering. And people were saying like, shit, The Who's probably going to sue over this. And all the One Direction fans were like, I don't know who the fuck that is. No one cares about The Who. I'm going to go to their house and burn it down. <laughs> Honey, CSI New York City <laughs> was on the air for nine years. <laughs> Even if you've never heard it on the radio. <laughs> yeah, you've heard it in a Pixar trailer or two. It every yeah, but no, and and end up uh, Pete Townsend was asked, and he's like, I don't care, 
<laughs> good answer. Like, I don't good care. Answer. Let them do what they want. I don't, I don't fucking care. Um, other new releases from 10 years ago, August 4th of the 10th, 2013. Yes, it's true by Polyphonic Spree. The self-titled debut of The Civil Wars. And uh, we also have Where the Heaven Are We by Swim Deep. Sounds like it's named mine by grandmother. <laughs> Creator of the Heavenicopter. And then we have Daggers by The Defiled. Blurred Lines by Robin Thicke featuring T.I. and Pharrell is still number one. A little bit of news from 2013. So whet your appetite for 10 years ago. The world's first bovine stem cell lab-grown burger is eaten and eaten in London. That's such a weird stat. <laughs> not grown, not discovered, consumed. Consumed in London where a bunch of people just staring at the dude eating. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's pretty much what happened. It was not good, if I remember this story correctly. This was, he said it tasted, you know, basically like leather shoe polish or mm. something like that. But this is one of those things where the big news story happens and everyone forgets about it. A lot of time it takes 20 years or so for the breakthrough to become mainstream. We've had 10 years of progress on the lab-grown meat. Mm -hmm. And it's coming, folks. It is going to be in your supermarket before the end of this decade, I guarantee you. They've made a number of cost-effective analysis and it's getting there. And the taste is improving. The textures improving. All the things you want to improve are improving. Hmm. I mean, who would start a fucking farm at this day, in this day <laughs> and age? Every time I see one, like that's so many fuck. How much does it cost? How do burgers so cheap? How much does it cost to keep these things alive and fucking? Anyway, also on this week, a chemical weapons attack on Damascus in Syria is claimed by Syrian rebels. Or was Loners. it rebel? No, not not cool like Pee-wee. reference there no uh, uh this is yeah another one of these um where there's a sarin attack during the fighting um this one i think targeted a suburb and they're not really sure uh why or they kind of they're pretty sure it was bashar al-assad had something to do with it but then like the rebels also said that they did it and uh, god he sucks <laughs> he just he just sucks so bad it's like this is why there should not be monarchies and dictatorships because sooner or later you end up at like some younger son who was not prepared for the job and he just wanted to be a dentist and now he's in charge <laughs> and if he doesn't stay in charge he's going to die and so he's just going to do the most fucked up shit imaginable and he killed a couple got, hundred I, people yeah i do gotta wonder if how many nights he's just could have been a middle class dad I could have zero worries. I'm going to be murdered in my sleep. Mm -hmm. I'd have to, you know, not have a, a more than one sports car. If you're a dentist, you can afford a sports <laughs> car. Yeah. So he'd have to be like, I only get one sports car. On the other hand, I don't have to worry that I'm going to get murdered for the horrible, horrible things I'm done. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this isn't the last of these, though. But also, they're never really sure what's going on. And some people will call it a false flag and blah, blah, blah. Because they have a bunch of uh, chemical weapons and they don't secure them very well. So who knows who could get their hands on them? Oh, <sighs> Fuck Bashar al-Assad. Anyway, let's move on to something way more fun. Movies of 2013, the August 4th to 10th. Fine city of Norwich. <laughs> and I, I saw this because this is one of the first times this character had significant American distribution. Mm -hmm. I've always meant to go back and look into Alan Partridge because I remember 
one of my last memories of being in a San Francisco video store. I'm like, that's Steve Coogan. This is fucking hilarious. Dude, what there's is like 30 Dude. years worth of. Yeah, there, there's so much of it. And I, I granted, I, I bet a ton of it is on YouTube, but nowhere near comprehensively. But this got an American uh, theatrical release. Uh, Tim K, Cole Meany, and Stu, uh, Steve Coogan and Alan Partridge. Great title, Alpha Papa. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a movie that is almost Airheads 2. Huh. <laughs> You're huh. right. Uh, I hadn't yeah. thought of that. So I, oh, I, get I love this because, yeah, at this point, Alan Partridge has gone back seriously like 20 years onto radio as a character of just like the most idiotic, unctuous, ridiculous, you know, commentator, TV presenter type person where it's like, God, you're so stupid. What do you do? <laughs> like, what is your job? Someone has to have this job, but man, you know, like TV morning show host kind of guy. And it's so cool that after, you know, 20 years of doing this character, they make a movie, which you can just walk right into and you don't have to know dick about any of this. You don't have yeah, to know that this is a pre-existing character. Yeah, um, right in. This guy is an idiot and a coward. And uh, he works at a radio station. A guy gets fired, holds the place hostage, and they bring him in to negotiate. That's it. That's all you gotta know. And it shows off the lovely city of Narge. Uh, um, actual, like, real locations. Like, he runs into a police station. And I, I was an exchange student in Norwich. And literally, Alan Partridge is, like, what they have going for them there. And a nice cathedral. And, um, like, holy shit. No, that's the actual door to the police station. I had to go there and get, like, a stamp on my passport as a registered alien. Because I'm not in the British Commonwealth and I'm staying longer than a tourist is. It was it was dumb. I had to go to the alien office at the constabulary, which sounds so fancy. It's not fancy. Oh, and then next up we have uh, Juno Temple, Adrian, uh, Adam Brody. There he yep. is again. Uh, Sharon Stone, Peter Sarsgaard, and Amanda Seyfried, and Lovelace. Oh, this I'm surprised the critics didn't like this as much as I did. Yeah, yeah, because yes, the Linda Lovelace story, which she's the star of Deep Throat. You know, mm -hmm. so she was one probably the most, you know, famous deep know. throat younger listeners. You have no idea how well known that porno was. There yeah. is no equivalent whatsoever. I don't care what clip you've shown around and it's like funny and it makes you people laugh, but it's actually from a porno. None of that has a candle on deep throat. It was a genuine cultural event for reasons I'm still not 100% clear on other than just maybe being like the first to somehow be widespread yeah. but like it would get referenced on Johnny Carson yeah. so middle oh, America it made, it made I think more money than like any movie in the decade it was in just because of how little it costs and how many like it became a rite of passage for years for people to see this in theaters yeah you must be a her g-spotters are uvula it's hilarious. Yeah. No, there's this weird period of porno chic, the idea of the, like, we're so liberated now that, yes, people will, you know, go out to a night of watching a porn. You know, this or behind the green door or opening Misty Beethoven. Yeah, there was this weird period of time where it was like all the hit people went and watched a porno as a film. And so Lovelace is, yeah, a biopic about her. And it's it's really interesting because it basically runs through the story of her like becoming a big star and how she got there and with her husband and and then it runs through it again from her point of view and you mm. see oh this was yeah. not a good situation this was actually pretty awful and she's as being abused everyone's thinking about strikes I bet she didn't get a back end on one of the most profitable movies <laughs> of all time at all and had a hard time spinning it into something lucrative no yeah. Linda Lovelace is and that's a stage name I'm blanking on her actual name but it's like yeah her, her yeah her whole story is is not one of fun times it's kind of 
mostly the back half of Boogie Nights, not the front half of Boogie Nights. Um, yeah, where she she is being cajoled and forced into sex work. And I think the movie is really fucking good. It would be an interesting double feature with Boogie Nights, honestly, because like so much of it is, so, oh boy, it's fun, the cocaine, the parties, it's so glamorous. And then you run through it again from her point of view, and like, oh, God damn it. This is the saddest, oldest story in the world. This is mm. jealous, controlling guy abusing his hot girlfriend. Mm. Mm. And all the men around don't give a shit because money's on the table. And she's a woman. Yeah. Well, no, I totally recommend Lovelace. It was really, really cool. interesting. Because uh, I kind of like that last week we just threw up our hands like, not doing Smurfs. There's no point in this. <laughs> and uh, there are two. I, I saw a bit of one of them. But first up, Stanley Tucci. Can't save every franchise. Uh, Brandon T. Jackson, Douglas Smith, Alexandro Daddario, uh, Logan Lerm- and Logan uh, Lerman, and Percy Jackson. Sea of Monsters. The uh, no other adverb needed. Awaited sequel to mm-hmm. Percy Jackson, Lightning Thief, and sort of the end of the road for this franchise. Yeah, that it's opening like fourth out of the new releases says a lot. Look, they can't, they can't all be Harry Potter. They keep trying to be Harry Potter, and they can't be Harry Potter. I mean, it was I, from what? the perspective of a studio, it's worth the risk to make half of what Harry Potter did. Yeah. What is the closest to Harry Potter? Uh, I, Hunger Games yeah. or Twilight? I was going to say, I'm afraid it's Twilight. Yeah. It's, it's difficult. They both they both did the split third movie, but I think <laughs> I don't know. Hunger. Hung, I'm gonna. I'll go to bat for the Hunger Games and not Twilight. But there's seven more books, and I do believe it was reacquired by Disney for a potential Disney Plus show. Okay. I have. I, well, it's uh, Disney absorbed Fox. I don't remember exactly how that that worked, and this was a, a Fox movie before the Disney purchase. Yeah. So I did but, not get around to watching this one. I watched the first one, and it has it has some parts that were like pretty good, but it it really just feels like they they took. They, they took Harry Potter and did a find and replace and threw in, you know, wow. yeah. Greek gods instead of, uh, you know, magic stuff. And, like, you could kind of go in an X-Men direction with that where everyone has different complementary powers and all that. But I've heard, you know, some, some of the action is, like, pretty good. They got to go find the Golden Fleece so they can heal a tree. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but the tree is actually a person. But, it, yeah, and it just it feels... It just, it feels like it's so formulaic from you know hero's journey stuff of just surprise your mm-hmm. dad is actually a magic guy and you're super cool and now you get to go to the magical place with all the other magical kids who are the specialist kids in the world. Yeah. <sighs> oh poor person. Uh, and then and then speaking of find and replace, <laughs> yeah. Don't get too excited by this cast: John Cleese, Julie Louise Dreyfus, David Croft, Terry Hatcher, Roger Craig Smith, Carlos Ellis, Rocky. Uh, Priyanka Chopra, Brad Garrett, Stacey Keach, and Dane Cook. I believe they like ripped out what's that dude from uh, uh, Two and a Half Men's name? John Cryer. I think they pulled him out of the role and like recast it with Dane Cook because he was hot. And and bumped it up from a straight to video movie to a theatrical film. Ladies and gentlemen, the time has come for us to talk about planes. High above the world of cars. Dusty, what are you doing? I'm afraid of heights. Awkward this year. I owe you my life. Are you crying? I don't cry. I'm British. When your road is the sky. Ah! Think you'll be okay? Yeah, I think so. Adventure is waiting in every direction. You've been racing again. What, me? No. You're unbelievable. You hear that? I'm unbelievable. Disney's Planes. Oh, man. Disney's Planes Hmm. was not the hit to be. I 
don't like cars at all, but I can't not tip my hat to the stroke of brilliance of anthropomorphizing things that little kids, especially little boys, are going to have anyway. There was a billion and one ways toy companies tried to get cars into my toy chest. Why not just give them eyeballs? <laughs> uh, it, but this movie is not for me, or I would guess many of us, really. Mm, Mostly an annoyance. I watched a little, not for me. Uh, yeah, but... I saw it without sound on a plane, appropriately ah. enough. And I was impressed by the animation, just watching it, mm-hmm. completely without sound. Considering this is not technically Pixar. Nope. Which, they wanted yeah. nothing to do with yeah. this film. Uh, Disney was like, hey, we're going to make this. And Pixar was like, get our fucking name off that <laughs> garbage piece of dog doo-doo. Mm. Yeah. So considering that, like, oh, the animation was, was actually pretty impressive. But it, it's, and I guess they were trying to be like, let's not just remake Cars with planes. Except they kind of did. No. Uh, yeah, just the kind of just a little bit. And then all the reviews are like, for little kids, it's fine. It's it's not so so dumb that it insults their intelligence, but they'll they'll enjoy it and the flying is pretty and yeah. for me the most interesting things is the questions oh. this movie raises. The popular theory for the cars universe that there were cars that came to life after humanity had destroyed itself. <laughs> nope, not, not not canon. World War II canonically happened <laughs> in the Cars universe. My my theory is the Axel Powers were trying to conquer the world for, not gonna for, oh. for fastism. <laughs> you thought way too hard about that. <laughs> cars. Oh, the, the first movie opens. There's humans here, right? Like, no, the cars are driving into the stands to watch the other cars. Mm-hmm. Humanity. So, what if this does take place in a universe where humanity has destroyed itself, and these things are smart, but not smart enough not to completely repeat every avenue of our history, destroying one another eventually as well. What type of car do you think Car Hitler was? Oh my God! Uh, <laughs> I was gonna say, has to be a VW Bug. It, I mean, it's probably a Volkswagen. I still think something something like a Fiat, though, just because that would the mustache would go really well on, <laughs> on the Fiat. So, uh, if there was a World War II in the Cars universe, was there a Cars nine eleven? And did the planes <laughs> drive other planes, or was it a suicide <laughs> mission where the the planes were themselves the the target and do cars were the planes radicalized <laughs> do cars do cars get covid and do they care about a toilet paper shortage these are all important questions <laughs> we invite you to answer on lasertimepodcast.com or the facebook group uh, man god i wish why are we thinking more about the cars movie than anybody writing them? moving along <sighs> to a movie i weirdly like and i yeah. don't know yeah yeah i i think it's a fun concept that totally gets like a very sugary ending that i'm sure wasn't there in the beginning mm. but ed helms will polter katherine hahn nick offerman thomas lennon emma roberts jason sudeikis and jennifer aniston and we're the millers how would you like to make 10 grand drug dealing no it's smuggling rose i need you to be my wife are you out of your mind you could wear a disguise bane from batman oh there's no drugs in here you got nothing to worry about we dress up like an all-American family. Go buy some clothes that love children wear. You look like Eminem from 8 Mile. Hi, 
I'm holding that baby. <laughs> I'm surprised that gag is in the trailer because I'm like, that's an awesome gag, like throwing a baby <laughs> under a truck. Like, uh, <laughs> the movie's rated R. It's just like not a really hard R. Nah, nah. Language but but I'm glad they didn't PG-13 it up because there's enough risque matter for this to be the you're gonna, you're appropriate. You're going to want to see Adam Warlock's stolen nutsack. You really are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to want to see Jennifer Aniston in mom cargo pants and a shirt from The Gap do a strip club dance in a uh, auto worker factory. I'm not <laughs> sure what that was. I, yeah. I'm shocked in a world of endless porn, like, hey, this is still working for me. Like, <laughs> go, Jen- go, Rachel. Jennifer Aniston is a smoke show in this movie. The most unrealistic thing is that she's a poor stripper in this film because she should be making bank. <laughs> yep. I, I'm always, have, I'm just always impressed with Jennifer Aniston's uh, choices in that she's just like, yeah, apparently she just likes R-rated comedies. This and like horrible bosses. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I want to play someone who's her, her vaguely big- unlikable. And uh, comes off friends and chooses to make office space. Yeah, exactly. Like a good eye for comedy and reuniting with Sudeikis after horrible bosses. Yeah. She also just, takes off a lot of clothing. Yeah. Just like, yeah, I, I just want to be only vaguely likable. And gradually you like me more, I guess, you know. But uh, yeah, this is, I hate to say it, be a broken record about it. The type of movie nobody will make for theaters anymore. Just mm-hmm. a mm, mid budget, just a. <laughs> mid-concept uh what it was jason sudeikis is a low-level drug dealer loses his stash and is forced to go get a giant shipment from mexico and decides if i have a fake family in the rv i'll be more likely to get over the border hijinks ensue the hijinks are pretty fun though yeah (laughs) it it had a a bunch of solid laughs that you know Mm -hmm. i kind of wasn't expecting and yeah (laughs) that pretty much anything where the concept is okay acts normal like, there's a lot of comedy to mine out because if you've ever tried to just, okay, act normal, you immediately become so self-aware of every dumb thing you're doing and then you start acting really strange. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just a, a whole movie of that. It's a broad <laughs> comedy, but it's it's a bunch of people having to work together who don't like one another, who are forced to appear like family members. I think it's inherently funny and I kind of wish there was another one of these. I, I You could yeah. do a sequel. I, yeah, I'd be they, up for a they sequel. They were kicking yeah. around a sequel. I'm surprised it only has like 49% on Tomatoes. I feel like, nah, this is like a 60. It's like, again, yeah. it's fine. It's not great. I don't feel like, do you need to go out of your way to watch it? It depends on what mood you're in. Uh, this film, I was only aware of because of memes. <laughs> Specifically the one where it's the guy who says, wait, you guys are getting paid? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I was thinking uh, no regrets. Oh, like, that's another meme. Yes, yeah, yes. I love that guy. Oh, yeah, this is uh, this is my words to live by. No regrets. <laughs> no, no regrets at all in your life, huh? Nothing, nothing you regret because it's it's spelled wrong. Yeah, and I still think I think he's a winner, huh? And I wouldn't even use birth control. <laughs> that, I thought that was fucking hilarious. Like he, playing her dad. Like, nah, go fuck this guy. I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I thought it was pretty decent. It made like almost ten times its budget back. I'm Damn, kind of shocked. It didn't come back for more, and it kind of took. I feel like it took Jason Sudeikis a little longer to be like a householdy name, despite starring in a movie like this. Hmm. But uh, I, I also love that I get to give you the bad news. Like, yeah, I know this is on Netflix. I'm gonna check this. I'll check this out um, while I'm cleaning. I've seen it before. Not streaming August first. Yeah. Um, ripped from the service, so anybody I've encouraged to watch it will have to probably pay or steal because it's no longer on Netflix. Uh, We're the Millers, though. I think pretty solid ten year old comedy. Yeah. 
And yeah. I don't say that a lot. Much more conflicted feelings about the next movie because <laughs> to call it anxious, anxiously awaited for me would be an understatement. Sophomore, the sophomore outing is always fucking hard. Well, it's, the second it's also, album, the, the follow-up movie, and we talked about poetic justice. Like the follow-up to a big hit is so hard. It, it makes me feel like, like just nostalgic for this era of the internet that doesn't exist anymore where I have so much free time and there's not a shitload of video content on it. My friends and I become obsessed with this short filmmaker, Neil Blomklap, who makes these amazing movies, usually with a sci-fi hint, if you've never seen Alive in Joburg, and then it's like, yeah, Peter Jackson's going to make a Halo movie with him. Doesn't happen. And as his side, pri- his, his side prize, consolation prize, you get to make a movie with Peter Jackson producing and it's going to become District 9. Love District 9. Yep. And then a, a big rediscovery for me. Like, I remember really liking it and like, oh, damn, this is timeless. I love this shit. Big hit. Next. Uh, hey, do whatever you want, Neil. And here we have William <laughs> Luna, Alice Braga, Wagner Mora, Shartlow Copley, uh, and Jodie Foster. A rare appearance by Jodie Foster in 302010. And Matt Damon, big star this time. Now one of the box office, Elysium. There's nothing left down here. They have it all on Elysium. Food, water, medicine. Cancer removed. And they'll do anything to keep us out. Shoot them down. I think I can help get you up there. What did you do to me? You can save everyone. When can I go? Elysium. Ugh, Elysium. Everyone wanted this to be District 9 Part 2. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they wanted. They wanted it to have that same feel, that same vibe, that same uh, heft. Because mm-hmm. District 9 is a heavy movie. It is not, not a light popcorn fare. I, yeah, I think Charteau Copley, like, led his bumbling main character led you to believe it was, like, less dire and serious than the, the movie's context <laughs> is. Um, and this just wasn't that. And I yeah. don't think this was trying to be that. I think it suffers for people's expectations of a film they were never promised. Mm. I think it's tough because the setup is so solid. I mean, that's it's a kind of a classic sci-fi setup of the haves and the have-nots, and to illustrate I, it visually so beautifully with you know the Elysium, the rings floating around Earth, and then down here they they're shooting in uh, shitty parts of Mexico, and it's like, yep, Earth looks completely fucked, and the rich don't have to put up with it. They fucked us, and then they got to leave, and they they have med beds, goddammit, and I was and promised I, by the QAnon Queen of Canada that they were coming any day now. I had in my notes before I started doing research, like. Uh, yeah, we're only the rich get medical. As someone recently and consistently fucked over by the healthcare industry, <laughs> and where a, a world where a YouTuber can give people access to small, inexpensive surgeries that their health insurance will not. It, I'm like, this is, you must be from a place with socialized medicine <laughs> to think that this is sci fi. And I just saw an interview. He's like, no, this is reflective of right now. That's what I'm trying to do. And I, I don't even know that he was looking at Elon Musk trying to get away from this planet uh, using all this money to, to not take us with him. There's that added benefit as well. Yeah. But I don't know. It doesn't gel together into something super compelling. Yeah, that, that's my problem. Is like the setup is there's a lot you can do with it and a lot you can say with it. And then I feel like plot wise, it just kind of doesn't. Like, I mean, the point is that, yeah, Matt Damon's like a worker and he gets accidentally irradiated and he's only got a couple days left. They got machines that can fix them up in the rich part of space, but he's not allowed to go there. And it's all about him trying to get up there and and get fixed. Don't let let them catch you illegally crossing the border. They will blow you out of the sky. Yeah. And yeah. And Jodie Foster is, you know, like 
in charge of the fancy rich place and she's or she's she's an underling she's about to she's trying to stage a coup so that mm-hmm. she can take over and I, I do not like her back voice. And forth. <laughs> I don't like the accent she chose but yeah. whatever it's be- she's beautiful she's jody foster yeah so there's you know a lot of back and forth it's like smuggling into space is a little bit harder than smuggling across a border <laughs> hey why are we out of oxygen there's mm. one more person aboard yeah it just <laughs> that, that does kind of hamper some of it it's like yeah visually and the setup is so good and just feel like the plot doesn't quite stand up and it like needed the, the another biggest... more it needed a couple more drafts to get there it's like the biggest budget and freedom this dude has had, and it just kind of went out with a whimper. They gave him an Aliens movie, lost that. He's going to make a short circuit movie with Die Antwerp. Like, oh, <laughs> man, this is really bad. This, this South African short circuit movie. And then what's he doing? His most, his newest thing, the utterly weird Gran Turismo movie, which they All right. Just pushed back because the writer and actor strike means we're if we're doing thirty twenty ten ten years from now we're not going to have a lot of movies to talk about uh, uh, during this period in twenty twenty four. Yeah, and it's going to be right on the back of COVID too. You know, there was that huge slowdown from COVID, and now yeah. the writers' strike. Yeah, that's going to be big. I think yeah, historically we're going to see a, a lot change with theaters, and I don't know whether it's good or bad, but holy shit, am I scared. If you like the theater experience, I I think it's going to be bad for you. And I really, yeah, there's a big post in the Lazy Time thread. I wrote way too much about it, but just feel like I'm getting away with murder in movie theaters. Once you actually have to pay for a full price ticket, like $30 used to be as much as like a McDonald's trip to McDonald's. This is nowhere near that anymore. And uh, theaters, movies still aren't making enough money. What's going to happen here? This is going to get, anyway, but Elysium, Man, did, mm. did I like I couldn't even get into it this time. It was the last thing I watched in the order of my rewatch. Yeah, but uh, it's like uh, I, I feel like there's it's, it is kind of similar to how I feel about like poetic justice. It's like, well, I see where you're going with this. And, and sometimes you get there and a lot of times you don't. I don't feel like I wasted my time watching this movie, but I can't really recommend it either. Yeah. Like, there's just, uh, there's a better movie screaming to get out in here. Yeah, it's and... a huge, huge fucking bummer. Yeah. God damn it. But we it's have so Gran weird. Turismo to look forward to eventually. Oh. Last Starfighter with cars on Earth. Great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Move on into TV then. 2013, uh, August 4th to the 10th. My voice is holding out, by the way. I have been sick, so I'm pretty astonished. Broadchurch debuts on BBC America. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. So this was a perfect idea for a one season show. Mm-hmm. It's set in a small town that has never had a murder before. First season handles that brilliantly. What do you do for the second season? <laughs> hey, there's another murder in this town that has never had a murder before. Well, and continue to cope with the murder you had in the first season. That's it. That's what they actually decided to go with. They decided to be with how do people handle grief? And it kind of handles it in a pretty mature way because some people do learn to accept it. And it shows that some people can't do that. There are absolutely people who encounter a exceedingly traumatic event that overwhelms their grief center and they never get over it. And this shows that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, another one that I've just I've had tons of people recommend saying you know combine so many things that I like of you know mysteries small towns with secrets coming out a bunch of the actors I like pretty much all the actors um, and I just I guess I've never I don't know why I think it's just because we're, we're sort of in the period where we're getting a lot of like the Scandinavian 
mysteries and stuff influenced by them you know which there's a sad detective and they're wearing a sweater and that's like all my mother-in-law watches and she loves them Uh. but they all sort of smoosh together for me and i feel like maybe i should just watch Broadchurch season one and then just leave it at that there you go yeah. So you want to you want to talk about smush together. It's hard to remember the next thing, the TV movie Clear History, uh written I had forgotten this existed. <laughs> do because like here's the thing, who doesn't love Larry David? You should, but I'm not actually none of us are exactly starved for Larry David content. There are hundreds of episodes of Seinfeld and Curb out there, but he's always sort of walked away from Curb not knowing if he'll ever come back. Almost never says it's over. Is saying that now that this is the last season. Mm. I don't believe him necessarily, but you know, I just hope it's not because it's. I've always felt it got better and better. But one of the things he did in the hiatus in between that was write a movie starring him and John Hamm. And given that John Hamm later shows up on Curb, those memories to me have drawn like clicked <laughs> together to where I can't extract them anymore. Yeah, I need to see this. I really meant to check this out again because it is. It's on HBO as well, but. Right. Very much like Curb, but with less of a handheld feel. And yeah, not... directed by uh, Greg Matola, who I like Matola. all his stuff. Mm-hmm. Did that uh, Fletch movie with John Hamm that was really good and really disappeared good. unfairly. Really um, I, we we are owed at least two more. That's, that's so unfair. That's, yeah, that really people the do the uh, what is it Fletch Confess uh, Fletch Confess Fletch very fucking good. I've watched it twice now. My dad loved it. My sister loved it. Watch the Fletch movie. I haven't. I need to get around to it. It got re- released rather confusingly in a post-COVID time. And yeah, you can pick it up. Uh, you can see it pretty much anywhere. Clear History, a totally fine extended Curb episode. It's Larry David's format really works better in half hour. I, I, I like the movie Sour Grapes because of how weird it is. That's what he quit <laughs> Seinfeld to make. Mm-hmm. But that'll never be as classic as television because it's these are just series of things that would have been in an episode. So I, my memory of it is a little hazy, but clear history. Larry David's uh, movie was 10 years old. And then lastly, we got another British show ending, ending this time, Skins. Ooh. Don't know it. <laughs> Escandalo. Oh, this was very scandalous at the time. It's like if Degrassi had nudity. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was an American remake that came and went and no one cared about. But, you know, it's I mean, it's a, it's a teenage drama, um, but with an even rougher edge and that there was, you know, a lot more sex, a lot more drugs, violence, drama. And they cycled through actors that the, the whole cast would change uh, like every couple of years. And we got a, a whole ton of ridiculously young actors who should not be in this material, a young man. But uh, Nicholas Holt and Dev Patel both come out of skins. Oh, okay. Yeah, and they're really good, and they're, you know, teenagers. And, yeah, with that, we got to get into games to close out the 2013 segment. I love it when this happens, like, right ten, almost 10 years on the heels of Pikmin 4. Pikmin 3 hits Wii U. There was almost a 20-year period from 2003 to 2023 where you got one Pikmin game in that entire time span. <laughs> and... Yeah, for whatever reason, Pikmin 2 came out two years before Pikmin 3, and they just decided to wait 10 more years until we got Pikmin 4, and it was looking like we were never going to get anything more Pikmin. These have never been giant sellers for Nintendo. No, it's uh, and they, they do weird... Pop. Did you ever transfer your 3DS data from one 3DS to another? Pikmin I did not. carry your memory between <laughs> it's animated. You can watch They're them so different. cute, though. Yeah, the awesome. little Pikmin are just yeah. incredibly... And uh, so Pikmin 3 was actually my first Pikmin game. I got a Wii U. Oh, that's uh, right. It was a, 
a delayed it was nintendo's big first party launch game and it got hella delayed Mm-hmm. And uh, when I got my Wii U, I was like, what are all the great games on it? And I, even though I had no exposure to the Pikmin series, everyone said it was one of the best things on the Wii U. So I just picked it up and it's incredibly charming with an amazing little feedback loop. So for our listeners who don't know, you have a hundred Pikmin who are these little tiny cre- cute creatures and you collect resources with them and you fight enemies with them and when they die you feel so bad i I mean always restart like i I, that's kind of why i don't love the series i don't like to watch my pikmin die but you do have to let them go sometimes but isn't that an amazing mechanic i mean it's so easy to get enough food for more pikmin that you can just if you're a sociopath, yeah. you could just throw them and wave after wave at your enemy. But I can't bring myself to do that. I feel too bad. So I try to preserve them and not make them die. And it's incredibly effective game designer. There's a YouTuber I really like called Arlo. And he's big on Nintendo games. And he adores this series. Uh, if you check out his rec- retrospectives on it, it can give you all the information that there is out there and his love of this genre the love of this series infected me and just watching his youtube videos made me like it more which is pretty impressive usually critics make me dislike something more but he actually made me appreciate it more so good on you arlo and Hmm. i remember it made everyone scrounge for an old wii nunchuck because that is how it was best played with the previous consoles controller (laughs) and also i had a roommate Tyler, people might remember Tyler, and he, he just almost never complained about any shit I did. He's like, dude, the whistling in Pikmin is fucking killing me <laughs> after 11 o'clock. Can you please not play that game. We're having trouble sleeping because of how shrill it is, and that's that's why I kind of stopped. Uh, also out this week, uh, Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons, where Cookie and Cream gets serious. It, Cookie and Cream, if you remember, I think we mentioned it here on VGA, I forget, but that was a really interesting game where it was split screen, and you controlled two characters, one on each side, one with one thumbstick and one with the other. Here you're controlling two brothers, so you're having a co-op experience that you're playing, you can play by yourself. But uh, you you need to help each other solve puzzles, lift each other up on ledges. It's very interesting. You can get the game for a song. So um, it's, and uh, speaking of very interesting, I know one of Mr. Diana Goodman, Michael Parza's favorite games ever, Mm -hmm. Please, comes out on uh, Windows and Mac. Oh yeah. He raved about this. Just a a game, kids, about scamming immigration. (laughs) No, no. This is a game which shows you what it's like to be an, average person in a totalitarian state this guy is not a resistance fighter he's not running the economy like stalin he's not even being sent to the gulag he just has to live out his daily life as best he can under this merciless regime that doesn't give him enough money for food or to heat his family place and the only way he'll have enough money to do that is if he's crooked but if he's crooked then the totalitarian state is going to crush him and kill him. So it's this really fine balancing act. I read an article about a guy who was a big gamer, and he tried to show this to a guy he worked with who had escaped the Soviet Union, and it did not go over well. It was like, (laughs) this is not for the game. This was my life. (laughs) (laughs) Got a point. But it's a... But that's a big question. Do you accept games as art? We allow film to tackle 
dark subjects. We mm -hmm. allow novels to tackle, tackle dark subjects. I think games can absolutely tackle things like this. I think Papers, Please is a perfect example of how to do that, but I don't think people are necessarily all going to be okay with a game tackling it mm. the way they would with a movie. Yeah, right. especially with a lot of people championing fascism. Or, <laughs> mm. And with that, that about wraps up 302010. We're going to tell you who died in a fun, and have a fun little quiz you can play along with about who lived. This is the part where I plug patreon.com slash laser time. Equipment is suffering a little bit. Got some extra money. Five bucks is all we ask. Give more, give less. Give you a bunch of show over hundreds of shows and returns and full-length movie commentaries, exclusive videos. Please check us out. We're trying to add stuff every week, and um, we think you can't thank you guys enough for your continued support. Also, listen to Vigigame Apocalypse every Friday, hosted by Mr. Diana Goodman and Maddie, uh, Maddie Allen. And myself, uh, we talk about new video games, usually have a little evergreen feature, some uh, topical news stories niche. Talking a lot about game preservation lately. Got Chris Kohler on last week, a legendary Chris Kohler, to talk about Karateka and shitty-ass birds in video games. <laughs> uh, Karateka being a big one. Uh, Di, where can folks find you? You can find me, eh, for now, on the Twitter. I'm not using its proper pronouns. The what? I, I know, because I do like to call things their proper pronouns, but I can't. At listening or are, are, are you worried X is going to give it to you? Probably kind of is. Yeah, I thought it was weird when they started letting Nazis back on, but ooh, child pornographers reinstated. Good oh, can we have both? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's fun. God, I have to tell some of my Musk-loving friends: it's not censorship. If you have a party, these are you have a list of people you don't invite. Mm. that's not censorship mm. <laughs> assholes aren't fun at parties and you can't have a good party with assholes moving on sorry Diana. it would have been cheaper for him to build his own thing from scratch that's yeah. all i can uh, uh, that's all i have to say all, i think I there should say. be a law about uh whimsical billionaires taking a vital resource and tool millions of people are using and ruining it for his own entertainment how is that something we can continue to allow yeah willy wonka <laughs> Anyway, I'm on there for now. I'm not really doing much on there because of, yeah, Nazis and whatever. But uh, you killed bratty children. That's true. I mean, I guess that's a net positive with, with the murders and all. <laughs> um, well, at least I think they're taking that giant X off of the building so he doesn't have a chance to murder any children. <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. Oh, uh, yeah. If there's one group you don't want to fuck with. It is municipal planners. You didn't get a permit for that shit. You're what dead about you, Jer? What's what you got going on? Oh, but anyway, huh? I didn't finish what I was saying. Oh, sorry. L E C I N E N E R D is me or the show thirty twenty ten podcast three zero two zero one zero podcast. And coming up next week, it is a Voorhees Tastic week. We have we've got Jason going to hell and going to Freddy's house. This literally <laughs> never happens. I'm going to enjoy the shit out of watching these uh, in a row. Yeah, but the, separated exactly by ten years. Exactly. Holy shit by 10 oh. years and then if that wasn't a head-to-head -head that you like enough we also have the first of the steve jobs movies not the one that i like oh. and we have a movie with some of the strangest people this is the weirdest fucking casting alan rickman's gonna play ronald reagan what? robin williams what? is going to play dwight d eisenhower Mr. And, <laughs> and when i think nixon i think john cusack we're going to discuss that next week. Oh, my goodness. I got to see what this I got to look ahead now. Don't listeners don't look ahead. Next week, we are going to be talking about the best version of Sid Meier's Pirates. Tom Clancy is going to have no remorse. None. He is not going to have any. <laughs> Futurama is going to land on your PS2. Oh. And most importantly, 
we get a remake of the best video game ever about the tales of ducks. Woo-hoo, my friends. <laughs> oh, my. Didn't know that. Jesus, I feel old. Well, uh, with that out of the way, die who died. Uh, fuck you, cancer on both of these. I'm, I'm going to go backwards. Uh, in 2013, we lost Karen Black, who's 74. She she did a lot of stuff. I think she, she turned up in House of a Thousand Corpses towards the end of her career. But... Uh, I, I just always think of her from uh, Airport 75, where it's like, the stewardess is flying the plane. This, I, She's just all, st- but she did plenty of other stuff. Come back to the five and five, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. I like her a lot. Did you um, see the horizon over her handbag? Um, oh, what's it called? Five Easy Pieces. Oh, she's oh, really, right. really great in Five Easy Pieces. But I'm more pissed off. Sorry, Karen, but I am more pissed off. In 2003, we lost Gregory Hines, who was only 57. Yeah, man. Like- Fuck you, cancer, so fucking hard. He had an old look to him, but that is way younger than I always associated him with being. Yeah, uh, it, it's just so massively unfair to have, like, seriously, one of the best tap dancers of all time. Yeah. And also did other stuff where he just he wasn't dancing at all. He was just straight acting yeah. and, like, waiting to exhale, stuff like that. Your uh, luck. Yeah, running scared. That uh, period gangster movie that I'm forgetting the name of? Uh, Rage in Harlem? forget that was i mean that was a period gangster movie it was fun Uh, yeah but then you know also stuff where he actually gets to dance like cotton club or white knights where it's yeah him him and mikhail barishnikov both dancing in their different styles that's really cool yeah that sounds cool uh it's just it's so massively unfair Mm. god he Um, was yeah please just look up best gregory hines tap dancing and just be like my god how is but you know He gave us Cheryl Hines, so, you know, we can remember him through that. Uh, <laughs> least likely candidate for Gregory Hines' child. With the deaths out of the way, what do we got, Jior? We got the birthday quiz. Oh, birthday is a doodly doo. A ding dong doodly doodly ding dong doo. Give me birthday. They are no longer with us, but. If they were, they would be turning 60 years of age. Mm-hmm. We lost kind of early then, huh? Born August 9th, 1963, at the Newark Beth Israeli Hospital in Newark, New Jersey. Her mother was a singer, a member of the Drinkard Cinder Singers, a popular vocal group that recorded background vocals for Aretha Franklin, Jimi Hendrix, and Elvish Presley. That Elvis? I got yes. it. Yes. Oh. got it. I'm going to keep going. Really good I'm pretty idea. Sh- yeah. All right. Instead of saying what she has been in, because I feel like it'll give it away really quick, I'm going to say that she has been portrayed by five different wow. actresses. <laughs> Yaya DaCosta in 2015, Demetria McKinney in 2017, Gabrielle Dennis in 2018, Shante Massard in 2021, and Naomi a key a Kai in 2022 oh i'm yeah wow. Wow. diana i think you know it whitney houston so it is whitney houston wow. yeah i know uh, S- sissy houston her mom did a lot of backup stuff i think that's her you can hear on um suspicious minds doing oh, backup shit. movies yeah. of her we've talked about include sparkle cinderella is the it woman that Life. elvis threatens the karate kick on the live show <laughs> <laughs> maybe <laughs> <laughs> And the bodyguard. And she died February 11th, 
2012. That's an astounding amount of people to play someone. That's how you know how, like, huge her legacy looms. Gosh. Yeah. How many of those are since 2012? All of them? All of them. All of them. Oh, my God. Man, that's a lot. Uh, Jeez. That's, yeah. (laughs) It took Elvis at least 30 years to get played that many times. God damn, Whitney. Ugh. That, um, still at RIP. It's, they're they're going to uh, be. I feel like they're going to be making versions of the Whitney Houston story, like they do *Stars Born*, where it's like. I mean, she's it's, she was because it's so goddamn unfair. It's tragic juxtaposed with someone unprecedentedly successful. Yeah, and and, and, the and level not a reach, but like didn't didn't get to live to see the era of podcasts, so we didn't know a lot of what she had to say, and it may have been interesting. Yeah. RIP Whitney Houston, man. Oh man. And and I mean, happy birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday. Anyway, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. We're going to go out with uh, Meteor Man stars Cypress Hill. Right now. Is that why? Yeah, they're on the. They're also on the charts this week. They had an album out what, last week, the week before. Right. Their big album. Right. So. And this is their big breakthrough because I had a oh, couple yeah. of like hard-ass hip-hop fans who knew who they were, but they become like, oh my God, like this, everybody had, what was it, Black? I forget the name of the album, but like mm-hmm. everybody had this fucking album. Yep. When I was a teenager. So yes, yeah, Cypress Hill will take us out. We'll see you next week. Oh,